Welcome to the fifth ever episode of the Video Store Junkies podcast, a podcast about movies and the experience of watching them. It's Friday night and we're back in the video store, although tonight the manager almost threw us out due to raised voices and heated discussion over the next film in our Mad Max coverage. The world had been through a trial by fire, and only the greatest warriors and their deadliest enemies emerged from the flames. Who are you? Nobody. I'm still... I can feel it. The dice are rolling. <laughs> he was the one they called mad. But he's just a raggedy man. But to those whose lives hung in the balance. Where's the waiting ones? Waiting for what? Waiting for you. He was the one they called hero. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Dying times here. Now, Mad Max is back in Beyond Thunderdome. That's right. Tonight we're talking about what is arguably the most controversial installment of the Mad Max series, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Many people consider this to be the worst installment of the franchise, while others defend it for being a welcome expansion of what constitutes a Mad Max story. The Junkies covered pretty much the entire spectrum on this one, so let's jump right in and See who thought this was another worthy installment, and who thought this one belongs in the underworld of Barter Town with all the other pig shit. <laughs> Let's start by reminding everyone who we are, and talk a little bit about when we first watched this movie and what, if any, relationship we have to it. Renee, let's start with you this week. Hi, I'm Renee. Uh, I, uh, I think I first saw this on TV. Uh, I don't remember exactly when. It was some time ago. Um, and uh yeah I, I i don't really have much of a relationship with this movie i I'd, I'd seen it a few times i knew it was uh in the mad max uh family and uh yeah that's about it it's good uh bill how about you yeah. my relationship with this movie was somewhat strained because i think it always knew that i really wanted to see another movie specifically road warrior so there was that uh so anyway i'm bill mulligan and uh, I saw this, you know, I saw this in the theaters and, you know, it is what it is. It's not Road Warrior and it wants to be Road Warrior, but it turns out you can't make Road Warrior again, except turns out you can because a bunch of years later he did Fury Road, which was like just as good as Road Warrior, but Thunderdome isn't. So that's my opinion. I'm sticking with it. Great. And uh, Alan, how about you? So I just saw this movie for the first time on Wednesday night and uh, my relationship with it is it's, it's kind of like if you go on one of those speed dating things and you're really liking the person for 10 minutes and then they tell you something <laughs> that, you know, you just want to get rid of them and, uh, you know, you know, next. So yeah, that, that's my relationship with the movie. <laughs> okay. Interesting. <laughs> and uh, last but not least now I, I saved him for last because he's the man who loves this movie so much that for years, <laughs> He demanded that people refer to him as uh, Dr. Dealgood. Uh, Paul, who are you and why do you love this movie so much? Oh, um, I think you're talking to a different Paul. But yeah, th uh, this is Paul Cardillo. And uh, I, f I first saw this fil film in the theater in 1985. That's when it came out, right? Um, with a bunch of my friends in high school. Went to the, uh, um, I think it was when I was in high school. I think we saw it in the Congressional Movie Theater. I don't remember what I really felt about it. I think I was just like, oh, okay, it was all right. Um, I wasn't blown away by it, but I didn't hate it vehemently. That that hatred came later. 
<laughs> I'm not even sure how many times I'd seen it since then. I don't think much. And then when Fury Road was getting ready to come out, and I think I mentioned this before, I bought the box set of Mad Max to uh, show my sons or teenage sons at the time, you know, hey, this is this is leading up to the movie. And when we got to this one, after about the 35 minute mark, we all were kind of like, huh? And I was like, oh, God, yes. And it all came flooding back to me. And then it was just, um, yeah. <laughs> and and I'll, I'll save most of my rants for the, 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 um, <laughs> the, the what am I hearing in the background? Is there, well, yeah, a, apparently yeah. what you said is illegal because somebody is coming. <laughs> yeah, they're was, coming to get you. Yeah, I was, exactly. I was like hearing the pirates. Yeah, no, so basically, yeah, I'll save what I'll save it. Um, but yeah, the, what when I watched it again for this episode, it was actually even more painful for me. Sorry to say, who who was who was the ambulance for? Uh, it was it was for Paul because oh. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm you're swatting me. <laughs> swatting yeah. <my> <laughs> no, uh, yeah, oh, wow. well, I, <laughs> I, I'm Zachary uh, Edgerton. I I have a, a kind of an interesting relationship with this film because, as if you've listened to the other episodes, you know, uh, I this was actually the first Mad Max film I had ever seen. And for a long time, it was the only Mad Max film I ever saw because I think this was actually before we, for a long time, well, for a long time, my family didn't even have a TV. And when we finally got a TV for a long time, we didn't have a VCR. So I was kind of, uh, my my movie viewing was limited to what came on like Saturday afternoons after cartoons. And I distinctly remember this movie probably came on a couple times. And so for a long time, it was the only one I had seen. And then uh, eventually I ended up watching the other two kind of in reverse order. So I probably so wait, have your family didn't have a TV. Uh, yeah. My family didn't have a TV until I was probably like eight or nine, I think. Cause this, so. I mean, okay. Cause so people don't know you. I'm sure right now they're, they have a different idea. You guys weren't exactly a bunch of homeschooled shut in survivalists or anything. Yeah, you know, we, we, were, we were actually homeschooled shut ins for a while, but uh, I we take were it all back. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me put it this way: we left the homeschooling thing because of the the homeschooled shut in survivalists. So, um, yeah, well. yeah, a lot of people. Yeah, it's kind of funny because I didn't have a TV for a long time. Um, my family, you know, we we eventually, I think we got you know a VCR, and uh, I, but I also, I think I've mentioned, I wasn't I wasn't even allowed to watch R rated films until I was probably like fourteen or fifteen, I think. So, yeah, it's kind of funny. A lot of people saw a lot of these movies, like, even when they were, you know, young and I had to wait. So, um, but yeah, and uh, I, I actually... probably explain that explains why your siblings turned into the uh, comms church going types that they did. <laughs> yes, they are. They are all every yeah. Sunday. They're all in church. Yeah. Um... <laughs> well, so, I mean, Zach is like a modern day. Finish that sentence. People, yeah, yeah, man, right. I don't, I don't know the word for it, but, but you know, you hear people talk about, you know, when I was seven, I got a nickel, and we went you know, <laughs> to the picture show, and there wasn't anything called TV. So Zach is like a modern day, yeah, that guy. It's like we've got no TV, but he was able to go to the movie, so it must have just been like he's, I don't know. He's one of the, it would be like, he must be one of the four Welshmen, yeah. I mean, when you get a TV, it's like they were holding out for the 55 inches to come out. That's what it was. It's like, we've seen these huge screens. I'm not watching a 13-inch color TV. You're crazy. No, I, I actually remember the the day that my parents finally capitulated and I got my first video game console because we found an NES at a thrift store. And it oh. was... But you didn't have a TV, a so you couldn't play it, could you? <laughs> 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 See, I'm telling you, he waited for all the good ones. 
I'm not getting a video game since I'm going to start with Nintendo. That's, I mean, that's a good place wow. to start. <laughs> Uh, no, but uh, so yeah, my my, I, we'll talk about it as we get into it. It's kind of interesting because, uh, yeah, for a long time yeah. I loved this movie, and then for about twenty years I didn't watch any of them, and then about you know six or seven months ago I rewatched all of them, and I actually I had a I had a let's just say my my opinion of this film has fluctuated, but we'll we'll talk about that as we go through. So yeah, I guess uh, we'll start by talking about kind of the background of this film, and then we'll get into kind of just talking through if if you've listened to previous episodes you know we've kind of been experimenting with the format so now it's we we just kind of do a more free form uh conversation about the film and uh hey if you like it uh if you like what we do send us a note if you hate what we do also send us a note because we'd love to hear mm. from you yeah if you want to know more about zach's childhood you know tell us that you want to hear because we can because if I were your parents, I just want to say, if I were your parents, I would have gotten you a fish tank and told you it was a TV because you wouldn't know any better. And you're just like, it's, it's all about fish. You're like, well, we all we get is the Discovery Channel. So <laughs> uh, I, they probably I was not a very bright kid, so they probably could have convinced me up until, you know, 12 or 13. Yeah, I think the the really important thing, probably the one event that shaped this movie more than anything else was the extremely untimely death of Byron Kennedy. Wow. Now, Byron Kennedy had been working with George Miller for over a decade. They had been friends. They had gotten into filmmaking together. They made the first two Mad Max films. And then in July of 1983, Byron Kennedy was killed in a helicopter crash. And which, uh, side note, but he was 33 when he died, wow. which is not only incredibly untimely, but also the fact that he had produced at that time two of the most successful action films of all time and he was only 33 it just blows my mind now what wasn't he wasn't he actually scouting locations for this film when, when it crashed at least that was my impression uh, that it was, I, I it was during actually scouting. how many times does this story get told if you're a filmmaker just don't go in helicopters mm. i mean i i could i could i could rattle off like three other filmmakers right off the top of my head um William Girdler, uh, Michael Finley, Vic Morrow. I mean, you know, there, there's <laughs> no. Boy. Well, no, I'm not. I'm not being funny. No, seriously, they're no, awful. Okay. They, 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 they shouldn't be able to fly. And apparently, a lot of times they don't. They just, they just seem incredibly dangerous. And well, I don't it's, know. It, it's yeah, it's funny because I, I was listening to an interview with George Miller from I think like the mid 2000s, and he said the thing about Byron Kennedy was he he kind of seemed, I mean, he was young, so it makes sense, but he said it, he kind of seemed indestructible. Apparently he mm. was into speed, you know, uh, I mean like driving cars, not drugs. Oh, good. Oh, but, okay. uh, well, <laughs> no, he, he was, he was into speed. He was into flying. He was on all these things. And, you know, they were, I mean, they were in their thirties, but they're still relatively young. And he said that it, I think he said that it, it came as almost even more of a shock to him because he seemed like such an indestructible person. And mm. then he died and, it just completely devastated George Miller. Now they had been working on a, a TV, uh, a TV miniseries called uh, the dismissal. It was uh, like a, a, a political, I guess, uh, historical, like political uh, docudrama. And mm -hmm. they had been working on this with another director named George Ogilvie, who apparently had a, a background in like stage, not so much in, in film, but he had a he had a background in stage, and I think I think George Miller said a background in like ballet even. 
And at the time, so he had been working with them. And after Byron Kennedy died, George Miller was pretty distraught. He said, you know, he he was like he said, it, he, he referred to uh, Byron Kennedy as basically a filmmaking brother. And mm-hmm. so I think at, at some point he said he basically just threw himself into this movie to have something else to focus on. And he still wasn't able to actually sit down and direct the entire thing because of just the the kind of emotional state he was in. So George Ogilvy actually came in and helped direct. I think Ogilvy directed a lot of the like non-action scenes and George Miller ended up directing a lot of the action sequences. So like the chase at the end and some of the other stuff. But yeah, it's kind of interesting because George Miller, I mean, he was, George Miller was very successful by that point, but he actually referred to George Ogilvy as his mentor because I think George Ogilvy kind of had more of a, a dramatic background and George Miller said that he kind of helped him kind of learn to make more dramatic films, which I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah, I had forgotten entirely that this was a co-directed movie. I was kind of shocked when I saw the credits. But it just completely blanked my mind that this wasn't entirely Miller's work. Yeah, and it's something, it's it's one of those things where, like, I don't think George Ogilvy had a lot of huge films that he was involved with after this. But it definitely mm-hmm. sounds like he was one of those like working professionals that yeah. had. I think he was older than Miller. I think he he had been directing for a while. Um, so so yeah, I think I mean this is his only involvement with the with the series. But it sounds like he basically stepped in to kind of you know help help finish the project and um, not have to put the full burden on on Miller, which apparently was a good thing because apparently it was a very difficult shoot at times because they were mm-hmm. dealing with weather and stuff. Has there ever been a a non-difficult Mad (laughs) Max movie? Yeah, right. I I, I think I had seen a conflicting things about how much Miller directed of it. I mean, there's in some cases it was saying, oh, it was only the action. And some said, oh, no, he was there the whole time, except for like one or two scenes. So I think there's a little bit of, you know, uh, I'm not sure. You read my notes. Yes, I did read your notes. (laughs) The night supplied by Renee. Yep. Well, you weren't saying anything, so I figured I'd Oh, I know, in. yeah. And then I'll steal it from Bill. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the only the only thing I got from that is I thought the last name was Ogilvy, and I kept thinking of Ogilvy Home Perm, which, you know, was about, oh, about the same Lord. time that this came out. <laughs> wow. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Did you get yeah. a perm? Oh, I can't what? imagine that. <laughs> you remember that? Oh, okay, okay. We had a TV my whole life, but we didn't have cable until, like, late late 90s so i only got four channels so whatever commercials were coming oh on i had God. to sit through them so i saw a lot of ogilvy home perm commercials i never realized so many of my friends grew up in this dickinsonian universe of, of <laughs> poverty and want it's it's sad oh god wow TV, but we yeah. didn't have a color tv until i was 13 so uh, yeah same the, the first tv we got was actually like a small black and white tv so we didn't even get a color tv to begin with so uh do you guys want to just jump in and and like uh i think you know in the past we've kind of broken it up by by cast and behind the scenes stuff but i think we can really probably just jump in and kind of go uh kind of act by act and talk about you know as things come up the things that we like the things we don't like and just our general thoughts sure. sounds yeah. good to me Cool. Um, well, yeah, I, this is I, I like the the intro of this film because I think that it sets a stage right off the bat that is 
probably the most desolate out of any of the movies. I think you could argue that they are getting more and more desolate as mm. you begin uh, or, or from the beginning to this film, because you, you open on this desolate, like aerial shot of this absolute wasteland. And I feel like this is kind of, this is kind of drive, drive, you know, we've talked about before where the first film is kind of pre-apocalyptic. The second film is kind of post-apocalyptic. And then this film is long after the fall of society, mm. obviously. And I, I love the establishing shot in this movie. Oh, I, th I think the, the establishing shot, it almost feels like you're on Mars. Yes. Um, yeah. To me. And, and in terms of the timeline, from what I've read, supposedly it was the time between the first and the second was supposed to be about five years and about from the second to this one, about 15 years. Um, it, <laughs> okay. It, you know, yeah. but I don't you know how close to this. But the idea that it's been much longer, that's why Max is gray, grayer in this and older. Uh, yeah. The, the thing, I, I love that opening shot, but what comes before it is so different from the other films. It's very big, this Hollywood opening. Mel Gibson, who's a big star now. Yes. Turner, yeah. big Tina Turner song and big Hollywood opening. And it just, I was like, oh, wow, you can tell this is a different mm -hmm. movie. And, and And then you get to that beautiful shot. But then, unlike the other ones, there's no voiceover to kind of set up. What, like the other ones, it's like, you know, in the time, you know, it tells you like the, the kind of the yeah. setup for it. Now, part of it is you can you can pretty much either assume you've seen the movies or uh, you can pick it up from context. <laughs> you know, at that yeah. point, by that point, the, then the question there is, is it because at that point, everyone's familiar with all the post-apocalyptic Mad Max ripoffs? That this is like, well, okay, people are going to get it from the context because they've seen enough of these that yeah. ripped us off already. So, which I thought was kind of interesting, but yeah, that opening shot does give you that desolation. It's gorgeous. I think, I think the part where he walks in, walks into Bartertown, and the guy offers him water, and he waves his Geiger counter, <laughs> which everybody carries over, and it's radioactive. It tells you everything you need to know, which I don't think was yeah. clear in the first two movies that there had been a nuclear war. I, I think mean, in the first one they, they weren't. Well, not in the first one wasn't supposed no, to be. No, I guess things were just falling apart. And then in the second yeah. one, there had been a war, but it wasn't specifically nuclear. But this one, yeah. So yeah, that's kind of, bad. yeah, that's kind of an interesting point. Uh, there, there there, are actually some interesting cues in, if you kind of go by the scripts for The Road Warrior and this film, there are actually some interesting time cues. I think the 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 Road Warrior was actually three years after the first one. Because it even okay. says it even says in the, well again I'm going by the script I don't know if this is necessarily canon but it says that he looked he looks three years older from the first one so yeah. okay but yeah the the interesting thing about this movie so the first two movies were really about the energy crisis right they were coming out of like the 70s when there was a a, a gas shortage uh, and you know they uh, uh, George Miller and Byron Kennedy talked about how they were you know they were really trying to examine what happens when the energy crisis goes to the extreme and people will do anything mm -hmm. for a liter of gas. And the second one was kind of a continuation of that. Obviously they were fighting over the refinery, but then this one does almost change from a, an apocalypse caused by, or, or the, the downfall of society caused by the energy crisis to much more overtly, like a, a basically like a post-apocalyptic nuclear war type scenario yeah. which i thought was kind of interesting yeah and uh there's even it you know when they get to barter town there's even a uh there there they have, there's like that cafe or that bar or whatever that says atomic cafe and apparently that is a reference to there was a i think in the early 80s there was like this kind of documentary type mm -hmm. film that was 
a, a kind of this assembly of all these old like 50s and 60s style uh or or, or uh, like educational films from the 50s and 60s yeah. and it was called the yeah you know what i'm talking about yeah, yeah. It's a it, was, yeah. it was really it was popular yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, okay. Was... I wasn't I wasn't born then, so I don't know. But uh, yeah, if you guys remember it, <laughs> yeah, um, no, it's great. It was a great. It, yeah, it was one of those things you put on the, when you're having a party at your place, and it's good background <laughs> music for you. You think I'm you think I'm laughing? No, it was, it no, was no. Cool. I know, yeah. I know you're not lying, Bill. I know because exactly. it's really it, atomic bombs are really beautiful in their horrific way. Um, yeah, you know. So now, now it's like we're not seeing the fall of society. We're kind of seeing society, you know, digging itself up from the ashes and starting to reestablish itself. I'm not entirely sure how barter town works because <laughs> you don't, I don't see where there's anything to barter. You're living in a part of Australia that apparently can only grow sand. Uh, I don't know what they're feeding those pigs. I got an idea, but it ain't a nice one. Um, yeah. So, but maybe they're, I guess they're going out and digging up scraps and, and they weren't, they didn't have them. They were, they were, I think they were showing some bartering of in terms of, uh, raw, not you know, like um, like you said, scraps yeah. and junk, basically. Well, you could barter for anything, right? Oh yeah, it's just it, yeah. it doesn't look like it, most of those people look like all they had with their hands was skin on it. Are they supposed to be in the desert, or is it just such a wasteland? It looks like a desert. It's Australia. <laughs> yeah, it's Australia. Well, I mean, I know it, it's sand and animals that it, can kill you. What is it supposed <laughs> to be? Is it supposed to be a desert, or is it just supposed to be a big wasteland? Because, like the thing, the thing with me about Barter Town is like, okay, well, let's say you went in there and you bartered for something and you got out. Where do you go? I, I mean, there, there's not really anything there. Go to your little sand dune that swallows up horses it's and more children. Wasteland. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's supposed yeah. to be basically more like on the edge of the outback, so it's. It might have been okay, but still like on the edge of it because they they do want to go to the city and such. I mean, they want to go to the coast. Yeah, so I mean, not quite at the, not at the coast yet. You know, it could be that people evacuated the cities because obviously they would be like a target for uh, you know nuclear weapons. Right. Right. So I mean, I mean, then again, that that begs the question: if the cities are still like radioactive, then you know, are, are all those kids going to turn into mutants at the end? I guess. We can yeah. hope. Yeah. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> Renee, you've been quiet. What are your thoughts? Put you Sorry, you threw me off guard. Um, <laughs> about the movie in general. Um, well, I just, yeah, like when you're getting town. into Barter Town and stuff, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know what? I liked the beginning. It was, it, it kept me going. Um, mm -hmm. There was a lot going on. So it was just a lot to look at and all people and um, kind of made me think about that guy, you know, just some random guy who's in the crowd who's like, hey, Hey everybody! Like I'm gonna be in this movie, and just wait for my scene. It's gonna be the guy that just sits there at the bar and takes a sip of his drink, and <laughs> that's it. That's the last time we ever see the guy. Um, there's just a lot going on, but I did. I you know I thought I enjoyed the beginning. It was you know you saw little peaks of people. Uh, Deal Good was there with poor Max's camels, and mm. yeah, I thought it was interesting. Now, one thing I, I kind of wanted to call out, because I, I think I, from the very beginning, I love the music in this movie. I love oh. the Barter Town theme. I love, like, the kids theme. I, I just, and, and I love the soundtrack. I would actually, I think, as much as I love the Fury Road soundtrack, I think this might be my favorite Mad Max soundtrack. Um, mm -hmm. And it, the, the music wow. was done by, yeah, no, <laughs> I, I love it. And part of it might be nostalgia. Like I said, I watched this a lot as a kid, but I, I just love it. Uh, but the, the music, I thought this was kind of an interesting connection, though. So 
uh, a lot of this, uh, people have drawn a lot of connections between this film and Lawrence of Arabia for obvious reasons, but also because, you know, uh, George Miller was a cinephile. Apparently, he, I think he's referenced Lawrence mm -hmm. of Arabia specifically as an influence. People have, you can go online and find like people have done like, you know, shot, shot comparisons where there are a lot of shots that are, you know, very similar. But uh, I thought it was kind of interesting. So Maurice, uh, the, the, the music was done by Maurice uh, Jarre. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. I apologize. Who had actually done the music for a lot of David Lean's films, including mm -hmm. Lawrence of Arabia, hmm. which I thought was very interesting. Yeah, he 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 did a lot of really really great scores for a lot of really good films. But this, I did not like this one. I I honestly didn't really? like it. Um, yeah, I so prefer the other guy whose name is escaping Brian me at the moment. Brian May. There you go. Yeah, who could sort of be a little over the top, but I thought some of this, especially with the kids, oh, I didn't know. It just oh, yeah. too, uh, I don't know. Well, all right, the notes I have are, bright little cheerful score makes me want to vomit, wow. <laughs> is what I dictated <laughs> oh, to myself. Harsh. And I think it was, you know, well, it was primarily during the kids' scenes, but then also later mm -hmm. I'm like, well, but it fits the tone because at that point and we haven't gotten to that part talking about it yet but really at that point it is more of a kiddie film it reminds me more like of things like hook and the goonies from the the 80s there where, you go and it, it reminds exactly. me of that kind of thing and it's and that's the target audience so, that, so the, the, it, the goonies <laughs> yeah, well, well no it's like it's like goonies, it's it's like you know when the when the guy falls in the picture it's like whoop, whoop fell in the poopy boop, 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 you know <laughs> i mean you know, it's like it does so uh, to me that was the other part of the score just actually i didn't even register it was only when i got to the kids stuff that i just was oh really that was where i wanted to punch the screen oh, i will <laughs> okay well let's let's hold <laughs> off we're still in the first we'll hold act. off on that the screen the first yeah. act i like first act, first act first act there's some beautiful world building yeah. without being like look we're world building it's just no it's just there and, the thing, uh, yeah, the thing I sorry, the thing I love though about the 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 Thunderdome score or the yeah the Bartertown part is that they he 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 actually like he does kind of a traditional kind of classical score, but he also uses like when you get into Bartertown, like it sounds like he's using like an anvil as an instrument, which I just love. Like it sounds very organic to the environment that you're actually looking at, which I, I think is great. So yeah, I don't know. Uh, we'll we'll uh, we'll maybe I'll 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 graft in some of my favorite uh, my my favorite clips in from the score, and uh, you know people can obviously judge for themselves.
Well, no, it, it has nothing. It has nothing to do with the score. But talking about the first act, yeah. the opening shot, I had that. It's the one thing I had to go back and rewatch after it was all over. I went back and watched the opening shot because when I was watching it, you, you know how he's in the little thing with his camels and he gets knocked out, yeah. and he's got that fly swatter in his hand. Yeah. Well, okay, it's a quick shot. I thought they had shot him with an arrow, and I'm like, well, when did they take the arrow out of himself? <laughs> Yeah, and I'm oh, like, I've got to go so back and watch this. I've got to go back and watch this because I don't remember. You know, he was just fine when he got there, and and I watched it. And I'm like, oh, it's it's that little fly, that knife fly swatter yeah. in his hand. And it oh, was okay. See, you just explained well, something. I thought he also was was hit by an arrow that I guess was the fly swatter. <laughs> no, I, I, same here. It. I agree. <laughs> oh well, then. okay. Because it is. It's a it's a quick shot. He he hits the ground. And he holds on to it and it's like at his chest and it's like flailing in the wind. And then yeah. they immediately cut away. And I'm like, well, they just killed somebody. And then I was like, oh, there's Mad Max. Well, who did they shoot with the arrow, you know? So <laughs> interesting. <laughs> Which, I mean, do we want to talk about Bruce Spence at this point or do we want to hold off? Because that's when Bruce Spence's character Yeah, we can, I mean, we can talk about it. Yeah, he doesn't really oh. have a lot, but yeah, go for it. When I first saw the film, it had been a few years since I had seen Road Warrior. And so I was like, oh, it's the gyro pilot. Because I had forgotten that of he went off would. and became. And, and I was like, oh, and that's obviously the, the little feral kid. And so, but they're not. In fact, <laughs> he's in a. <laughs> in take a breath of the mention of the feral kid. Uh, <laughs> Oh, that's so, what I thought too. Why would uh, yeah. you cast the most memorable face in the entire movie to play a completely different? But see, I thought it was this, I thought it was the same character, and then when he when he ran into Max, he didn't recognize him, and then so he shot him with an arrow. And then I'm like, yeah, he, well, no, because he didn't he didn't see who he was when he was flying over him the first time, hmm. and then um, and so I was like I was like, oh, okay, well, that was kind of interesting. That was kind of neat. So that's what I'm, and so it never made that connection the first time watching it. Now it's like, wait, he's a completely different character. But like you said. It's more Spence, and he's just a character well, who also flies and, an airplane, right? And I thought it was I thought it was a different guy when when I first saw it. I thought it was a different guy. I was like, okay, hey, you're right. A, since they don't oh, okay. know each yeah, other, yeah, you were correct. That can't be the same. I mean, character play. And he also wasn't playing as goofy as he did in the other one. So I was like, this is a different guy. But then I watched the credits. I'm like, nope, that's him. That you know, that's that's the guy. Well, what they should have done is not give him the little cute, adorable little kid. Like, what was yeah. the point of that? Except to to go, wait, is that the feral kid all cleaned up? Exactly. See, I mean, if they didn't have that, I mean, it wouldn't have been a different character, right? I mean, it's not yeah, the it same is character. A different character, but it is a different again, character. But like the first time I saw it, I was. Face, just like, I mean, you're right. It's not as goofy as the gyro captain, but Bruce Spence's face is never going to be King Lear. I mean, it's you know, <laughs> yeah. he's right. he's just it's so goofy. Yeah. I mean, I like seeing him. I, I I'd like to see him in Aww. every movie, but it just seemed weird to have this character who's except for Max himself, was the one character I could recognize again. From right, the first but again, it, when we saw it first thought in the theaters, it was a couple of years after we saw it. You know, it wasn't, home video yeah. was out, but it wasn't really as as prevalent, and people usually didn't rewatch things that often. And you didn't, yeah, well, definitely I didn't did. have it. <laughs> you didn't have it <laughs> streaming and things like this. So it was, True. a lot of people, that's the first time they'd seen it since the other movie, so it's easy to, to forget that the character was any different. So I, I just thought it was kind of a weird choice to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, from what I understand, they cast him because when he was in the Road Warrior, he was kind of unknown. But I think between the two movies, he had some like success in Australian TV. So I don't know, you know, I maybe they never <laughs> I, don't, I mean, surely this occurred like to them when they were filming it, that people would be confused. But I don't know. 
especially um, with the little kid. That was uh, yeah, with a little kid. Now there there is one shot that always this this always confused me, especially when you know after I watched the Road Warrior and I it wasn't really registering that they you know they say at the end he goes off and you know finds the other tribe. But there is that scene where I don't think they really see each other, or or Max doesn't really see the gyro captain or Jebediah at all until the end. And there's that one scene which I always thought was supposed to be a, a reference or a throwback, mm-hmm. where you know Max he 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 runs into the room and he sees him and he's like you and he's like me and and I for a long time mm-hmm. I thought that Jebediah was worried. I thought that he was the gyro captain and he was like and Jebediah yeah. was worried that Max was recognizing him or something. But yeah, very confusing for new sure. Theory, new yeah. fan theory. Yeah, oh, it's his twin brother. <laughs> there we go. That, that does imply that maybe Max saw him when he flew over him, right? I mean, how else well, would you? Why else would I you think, say? Yeah. That? Well, he also you. saw him in that when he was in Thunder when he was fighting. Yeah, in I Thunder think he Dome. saw him in in Thunderdome. He he kind of yeah. recognized him because yeah, he, he, he has yeah. a pith helmet. <laughs> and also, you know, he's like six foot five and stands out in a crowd. Even even the crowd in Barter Town, he stands out in. So, <laughs> another thing I wanted to call out. So when he gets to Barter Town. And uh, one of my one of my favorite small parts in this film is uh, uh, shoot. Let me go to the let me go to my notes. What's his name? Um, Jesus Christ! Uh, Frankie was in there. He was that was in the Passion. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> a different Mel Gibson movie. <laughs> oh, Frank Frank Thring Frank Frank Thring as the collector, who uh, you know very small role in this movie. I I love him though. He has actually a very interesting connection. So he had narrated a 1974 film. I couldn't even find out what this was about because it's called a documentary, but it doesn't have a description. But uh, the uh, the 1974 um, short documentary called The Devil in Evening Dress, which was one of the first films that uh, George Miller had directed. Hmm. So, yeah, kind of an interesting kind of throwback. I love his character. I love like... I, and I think that this gets to the question about, you know, you know, what are they bartering? How are people, what are people actually like trading here? And I kind of love the fact that you have to have something to barter to get into the town. So they don't right. just let anyone in. They don't just let dead. Yeah, it keeps in. up the riffraff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is also a different movie, but um, <laughs> now I had a question. So is this the first movie, speaking of the fly swatter and, you know, the secret weapon, is this the first movie that ever did the like unloading 50 weapons from your person gag? Oh, good question. Cause I was thinking that that's such a cliche. Now I'm trying to think of an older movie that had that gag. Yeah. I know uh, the only other movie I can think of specifically that did it was, and obviously parry parroting this was, or, or this gag was last, last action hero, but I can't think of another film before this that did that. I think hmm. Benny Hill might have, but Benny Hill, you know, <laughs> could, have, could have ripped it off at, you know, because they also did the gag from uh, Rage of the Lost Ark with them pulling out the gun and shooting the guy, but that might have been post that as well. Who knows? You know, Benny Hill was yeah. around for a long time. So I think, but, I uh, think Benny Hill established everything. Everything oh, yeah, is pretty much of Benny Hill. That is, there was the whole Thunderdome thing with him and, you know, Jackie Wright. But anyway, <laughs> um, you know what bothered me about the, the that weapon scene, though? He didn't get yeah. a receipt. <laughs> he didn't get true. a receipt. How's he getting his stuff back? They don't give his name. Yeah. Yep. Very true. Yeah. So that 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 honestly bothered me. I was like, <laughs> right. I think he'd want to get a receipt. But you know, hey. 
And then that that was that's where it all went off the rails for me. Yeah. <laughs> no, <just kidding. laughs> well, I'm glad I'm glad nobody said, hey, they don't have camels in Australia, because actually they do. They have feral camels, which is like we've got feral, feral cats. Australia's got feral camels. They do everything better than we do. <laughs> is that like a camel, but it has rabies and it bites? Oh, no, it's just a, a they brought camels to Australia because they figured, hmm, here's a place with a lot of sand. And yeah. the camels, as they do, just like the horses did here, they got loose and they're they're about as tough as nails. So they're they're thriving and and you know wreaking havoc on the countries. Basically, it's, it's amazing. Every marsupial in, marsupial in Australia is apparently like useless if any placental mammals show up. You know, they've oh. been there for hundreds of millions of years. You think they'd get pretty good at living in a place like Australia, but you toss a couple chipmunks in there who are the bitch of the forest around here, but then we'll take over the place. Like, ha, ah, look at us. We got placenta. And then next thing you know, you're swimming <laughs> in, in chipmunk. Uh, <laughs> you got placentas? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Just an observation from a high school science teacher. Uh so oh. moving on yeah. let's talk about yeah i upper... need to talk about placentas at some point but <laughs> well let's save oh. that for the after show sure. um instead let's talk about the other arguably the other main character in this film and i guess you could say the villain although not quite as much of a villain as the previous films had but let's talk about tina turner as auntie entity mm. yes yes go um the first time I saw it, actually, I was kind of like, oh, it's just because it's Tina Turner. She's only because it is. And so I, I like said, I didn't really hate it, but I was kind of like, oh, it's just Tina Turner. This time I actually enjoyed her performance much better, much more. I mean, and I, 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 and as a character, like you said, she's not a villain. Now she's pretty damn harsh with her rules, but she's just trying to maintain a society. She's trying to bring society back. And I absolutely love the exchange when she talks to him. She says, well, who were you before? And, you know, and then he's like a cop. And she goes, and she goes, well, you know, I was, I was nobody, but now I'm here. And, and I just, I love the fact that she's trying, you know, she's doing her damnedest to try and bring society back. It's, it's a rough and tumble society. It's got rough, rough there's, I don't see her at a villain at all in this, to be honest. Um, and then any woman who can wear, how much was that? How much did that, that like 120 that, pounds? Yeah. yeah. That dress. <laughs> holy cow. I mean, so I actually enjoyed her much more watching it this time than i think the first time i saw her so uh, I, I liked her I, I i hate the name because it sounds like something from a later latter jack kirby comic um <laughs> i don't think characters need to have silly names to to be intimidating but have I you guess... have you heard some of the other names in this yes movie? No, well there you go listen and fury road Rictus lord humongous lord no, humongous was fine okay because he was he was the lord and he was pretty humongous so I guess you know that that means everybody's got to have a goofy name, and it, it ends up being like The Sopranos, where everyone's it's Tommy uh, Ten Fingers, and uh, you know, it's like well, big deal. Everyone's got ten fingers, but we'll put that in the man with two hands too. Um, it's the man with two hands. That, that gets a mention every movie, podcast. She was she was fun, and yeah, I think she's if she is a villain, she's my favorite kind of villain who is not a villain in her own mind. Mm. you know and, and that that i like she kind of reminds me of one of my favorite villains who's also only a villain from a certain point of view um and i can't remember her actual name but the the um antagonist in princess mononoke the woman who much like tina turner yeah. here is a woman in a society that usually wouldn't value women but just through her own intelligence grit and determination 
has built a society. Now you may disagree with her motives and she's definitely on the, on the wrong side of the heroes and everything, but she doesn't feel that way. And the people who follow her love her because she's, she's brought them a lot. So, I mean, that makes to me a much more interesting villain than the kind of one dimensional, as much as I love Lord Humongous, we didn't really get the sense of why people follow him, except as, as mentioned, he's humongous and apparently has the only gun. I talked about so, that. We said that he, he actually cared for his people. He um, did, but, but he only was, showed was, a little. Yeah, but you know. still, I would yeah. actually argue that, that the people we call the heroes in this film aren't heroes, but that's, that's another part we'll get to. I th- yeah, I think that's a good point, though. What was Lord Humongous's endgame, right? He was going to get the gas, but after and then that, what? Look yeah, for another yeah. refinery? I mean, she's actually building society. She's actually yeah. building something that will last beyond her own life, which is, you know, a heroic thing. I, lo- I love that it ties into her backstory about like, but I was I was nobody beforehand, but here I'm doing something. I'm I'm you know I'm I'm mm. building this this new world. So I, I, it gives a kind of motivation for that. I I love the fact that you called out that line because I'm not exaggerating when I say that that is probably one of my favorite lines in mm. I don't want to say any movie ever, but that line to me literally frames what makes the post-apocalyptic drama so interesting. You know, it's, it's, it's always the question of what, when a society crumbles, the people who rely on society to exist like what do they go what do they do right like what happens to them do they survive do they figure out how to live do they you know just curl up and die and i think that's the most interesting thing of the that's one yeah. of the reasons i like the post apocalyptic genre so much is because or at least the the smart films and books that ask that question like what happens afterwards not not necessarily you know, uh, just a, a backdrop for a bad action film, like so many of the pretenders were, so many of the Road Warrior knockoffs were. But you know what? And I think that that's one of the reasons I like this movie so much is it kind of gets into kind of both it it it, it explores that question, and then it also explores the question of like what what about the people who come after who don't remember society and right. don't necessarily aren't necessarily trying to rebuild the world as they remember it. Now that there's, yeah. there was kind of an interesting, I'm oh, sorry. I, I was going to say the, uh, this is kind of obviously fast forwarding very far, but the, you know, the last, her last line in the film is, is like, you know, ain't we a pair and George Miller had kind of an interesting take on that. I read an interview where he was basically talking about how, like like you were saying, uh, Bill, like she's not necessarily a villain because it's really a question of when you when you're in charge or when you are trying to lead a group of people, like at some point, do you become this almost dictatorial figure? Yeah. And and basically he was saying that, you know, maybe she maybe she was saying that Max was the sort of person where he's a drifter and he's not necessarily he's resisting having to lead people and having to be responsible for people but she almost sees that if he did decide to take on that role she would mm-hmm. almost he, he would almost become the, kind of the same figure that she is yeah i kind of wondered well, I had, about I had that the same question i had the same question i did after the second one why didn't she shoot him in the head why do they let him go 
you're chasing him down for like 30 think, minutes. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> we'll get back. We'll right. get, I think I we'll get come back rack around to that point because yeah, I've got a well, lot of. Well, we may forget, but but I think because I think Zach has has actually answered that question because I had the same question. I think she felt. Why did she go after him in the first place if she was just going to let him go? I guess she kind of had to. She had to show strength to her people that she would get vengeance on the guy who you know did this and everything, and they're all for it. And also, we need to have a chase because it's a damn Mad Max movie. Um, we'll get to that in a little bit. But then, you know, once it's over, there's no point in killing him. And yeah, she saw that he really kind of sacrificed himself to protect the kids and make sure that they got free. Maybe she does see some of herself in there. I mean, that last line is a great line. That's one of that's that's one of those go-to lines that I take with me whenever necessary. Ain't we a pair, of Raggedy Man? I love that line. Well, I, I would have bought it more if they would have actually gotten the the what do they call them? The brains. If they had gotten him back, but you know, he they he got away. That's why I thought yeah, that was the point the I was gonna make. <laughs> she 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 had no reason at that point. She was she was just trying to get Master back. But uh, but yeah, we'll 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 talk about the the ending. Sorry, I didn't mean to fast forward, but just because of that one line, which is is kind of an interesting right. uh, kind of bookend to you know when when he first shows up and she's yeah she's talking to him about who she was and who he was. Um, also, yeah, I, <laughs> I love that intro when she she first sees him and 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 she's like, he's nothing but a raggedy man. Uh, <laughs> let's also talk about we we didn't we kind of skipped over it, but one of the most important callbacks of the entire series, I think. Uh, the uh, the saxophone player. Obviously a callback. <laughs> I knew I was going to get Renee. <laughs> yeah, I'm embarrassed to admit that I went back to the first movie to see if the songs were the same. <laughs> they were not. Was, it this, was that guy in the first movie, really? No. His what? wife was playing the saxophone in the first movie. I, I, I turned on some closed captioning that I had to download and I saw the closed captioning before they said the words. And when he was going up there, the closed captioning came on that said something like saxophone plays. And I'm like, what is coming up here where that's, you know, that's the closed captioning. And sure enough, you know, they go up into the, like this nicer place and there's this dude playing the saxophone. I'm like, okay. <laughs> no, I love it. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know if it's actually a callback, but. <laughs> I, 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 not it only is. did I go back and listen, but I literally took both films, edited them down to like those 15 seconds of footage and did it back to back just to see how similar they were. Oh, probably like, I probably spent like half an hour comparing the two. Um, they do oh. sound similar, but yeah, I was like, I was kind of disappointed that it's not the exact same song. That makes me feel <laughs> so much better. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Now, I, I also you've just called it up in two tabs and played it. I... <laughs> no. no, I'm a professional. I, <laughs> I got <laughs> I take these things seriously. OK, um, yeah, well. <laughs> um, no, I, I also I love this scene because, you know, this the whole point of the scene is that they are basically testing him out. And this is such a mm -hmm. like such a, you know, tough, uh, tough town and a tough world that they are pretty much going to just kill him if he doesn't pass the test. But, you know, he, he does. And I actually, I, I kind of love this fight scene. I mean, there it's pretty quick, but I think, I think it's great. I think that her performance has actually kind of grown on me. I think as a kid, you know, I probably didn't really, I mean, you know, it was fine. I wasn't really thinking about her performance. And then when I, when I was a little older, you know, I think a lot of people kind of uh, dunk on her, and I think it's actually unfair because, yeah, I actually 
really like her performance and how she plays this character. It's very over the top. I mean, she did not have a big career in film. Yeah. Um, and I think it's because Tina Turner was always larger than life. I bet in real life she's like four foot two or something, but she always yeah. seemed really just and, and and just a ball of energy. If you ever see her doing, you know, mountain high, valley, whatever, it's just amazing on the stage and everything. Um, it would be even you kind of wish that she'd gone like you know Mad Max on Ike a few times, but you know that was this was the role she was pretty much born to play, and I don't know if there's really a whole lot else she could do because she needs to play a character who is over the top and take command and, and everything. I thought she was fine in this. I, I don't think she was the problem. In regards to the acting, her acting, what's funny is the one part where she, I think she does actually fairly subtly is that one line about, I was nobody. And you get mm -hmm. this feeling that, and, and, and you brought up Ike, and I think that actually is probably why. You get a feeling that this character saw some serious shit. Everyone did, but she saw some serious shit. And she's oh she's she's a survivor and she's made it past that now and she's rebuilding her life and that at this point Tina Turner was 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 past Ike and has had was was she was on her 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 you know ascendance again her reascendance and so it was it it came across very that part came across very natural which was kind of neat compared mm -hmm. to like you said the rest of the performance where she actually kind of has to take on this this larger than life role because that's what the character has to do as well. Right, it's what that's what her public demands when when she like jumps down after Thunderdome and and starts, you know, getting the crowd back on her side and everything. The the way she speaks her cadence and everything is like a little bit of rock and roll, a little bit of old style southern preacher, you know, that she's she's speaking but she's speaking in a very musical theatrical way and it it's it's really cool. You know, I'm trying to think who else would who else would play Auntie Entity if not Tina Turner? Who would we have put in the role? And I'm I'm coming up with a blank. If they were to remake this movie, who would they who would they cast? Lady Gaga? Ah. Yeah, exactly. That's probably exactly who they would cast. Actually, I have, a, I have a question. Do they ever use her full name besides Auntie? I was it was it mentioned like once where they called her Auntie Entity, or was it? Hmm. Is that um, I, I I just remember they were calling her Auntie the whole time. I'm actually not sure. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, if so, it might have just been once because I don't. Well, I don't in remember. fairness, they never call him Mad Max either. So, well, yeah, <laughs> but they, they do call him Max. I mean, that's yeah. yeah. Well, actually, they they have to call him the Man with No Name. So. Yeah. yeah, I was like, oh look, uh, you know, um, Clint very specific reference. Yeah, mm -hmm. I I know that I know that uh, you probably hate every moment that he's in the movie, Paul, because mm -hmm. he kind of is used as a uh kind of a a goofy physical comedy character in in a lot of the scenes that he's in but i actually really do like uh angry anderson as iron bar <laughs> i think i think that he's actually first of all wait 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 a minute wait a minute Let, let's full stop here how is it that in a mad max movie his real name is way cooler than his made-up <laughs> yes. name yeah they should have just called him by angry his name. anderson as angry anderson that's, well that's... i i actually like him in that first scene I, I i actually like the fact that he hangs on and pulls himself up it's later when he becomes wily coyote right, you know and, and that <laughs> yeah that it's like come on it's like i mean but again I think audience-wise, this is PG-13 versus wasn't the original Max like unrated, and I then think, no, always are. 
I, was well, it R? Because I, yeah, I thought I think, it was like had gotten unrated at first, and then I think they were both R. I mean, I think they yeah. actually in other countries were like I think in the UK that has like far more stringent uh, rating systems. They yeah, got, they like, might a, have given it the X highest like yeah, yeah. An X. All the Hammer movies were X, you know. They they were they were hard action films and considered you know versus this was PG thirteen and definitely was more aimed at kids so. Mm-hmm. It makes more sense that he's, you know, not dying horribly all the very (laughs) sundry times. All the things that should kill him. Now, it is kind of interesting, though, because, I mean, you know, George Miller always talks about how one of his biggest influences is actually silent films. And in a way, a lot of the stuff that happens, a lot of the more cartoonish things that happen in this movie are is kind of reminiscent of the over the top stunts that you would see in like an old like silent era film. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if that's I, I, that doesn't necessarily excuse the fact that it seems out of place in this movie or in the series. But I don't know. I still think I think that's kind of interesting that he seems to be kind of harkening back to that type of physical comedy with this character, especially. I would say it's not out of place in this film, but this film is out of place in the series. <laughs> OK, well, <laughs> I have some, I have some big thoughts on that, but uh, we'll get mm-hmm. we'll get to that later. Um, now this this series this scene also sets up obviously the kind of core conflict of the first act, which is you know pretty simply that Auntie Entity is running Barter Town, but does she really run Barter Town? And mm-hmm. she obviously does not have the power that she wants. And uh, yeah, so we're introduced to to Master Blaster, and I, I actually love the fact that he. You know the next the next scene he goes down and and he's kind of he's kind of uh, infiltrated the underworld and we're introduced to the pig killer who is probably maybe one of my favorite maybe my favorite uh, minor character in this movie mm. uh, I just I just love him. Well, when I saw his name in the opening credits, I expected more. I expected I don't know a lot of pig killing. I guess I don't know. <laughs> I expected that he was going to be a much more like, uh, you know, he's going to be a he's going to be the villain or something down there. But he really wasn't. He was like the I'd rename him. I'd rename him. Guy, yeah. Farmer. It, <laughs> to me, it actually makes me feel a little. I mean, a lot of the film feels very kind of epic, and uh, uh, the underworld felt epic. But Pig Killer, you yeah. expected there to be an army of 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 slaves because he's basically a slave. I mean, he's, he's there for punishment as a prisoner, but you expect to have like this big army of them. And when they break out, you expect it to be, yeah, yeah, yeah and it's, he's the only one. It's like, what, you well, know? So because yeah. I think, you know, he says the life expectancy down there is like a year. Or so, right. <laughs> but there should be more people that, you know, yeah, there, so, there should be. Yeah. I was a little disappointed. I, I think that, he was underused. I don't think there was. Yeah. yeah. Well, Cause they, they set up what I thought was a great arc. He, he killed a pig to feed his kids. Yeah. So then he got caught, thrown down here. What happened to his kids? Probably nothing good. So that seems to me that he was, you know, then he would be the one to save the little kids at the end and sort of replace his now lost family with them. I mean, it feels like there was the potential for a pretty good arc there, but if it's there, I kind of missed it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he didn't have a whole bunch of an arc. I think I just like the actor, and I I like you know the character. Oh, oh, he's there. a credit like... to the grub name, yeah. 
<laughs> um, any other thoughts on on kind of this whole scene? Oh yeah, because you were saying you know like they call it the underworld. There's actually at one point one of the people he goes past even has like this kind of demonic look. I maybe because he's like covered in pig shit or whatever, but he yeah. looks he has almost like a very demonic look to him. Um, well, you'd be pissed too, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I I like that whole part till all of a sudden yeah. like. Max, even though he's like thrown in a slave at all, he, he gets to go up and, and I don't know, just the whole interaction, how he gets to meet and interact with Master Blaster just yeah. didn't work for me. It was sort of like, oh, okay, we need to speed this along. Okay, boom. I was like, wait, what yeah, the hell? Yeah. Because when she said, okay, you got to go down there and pick a fight, I'm like, oh my gosh, okay, so this is going to take well, no, 30 no. minutes he, for him to... <laughs> he went down there, he just went down there to kind of like scope him out. He wasn't trying to fight him. And I mean, that's pretty much, I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't a slave or anything. He volunteered and just basically went down there to get a closer look at him. And find yeah, out what I mean, the night was, which turned out to be a tin whistle. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but he he was able to pick the fight and get the Thunderdome thing very quickly. Yeah. Quicker than I yeah. thought it was going to happen. Well, that's afterwards, it, though. That That's because, right. I mean, it does, it does, I, I think it does kind of make sense to me, though, because... It, I, I I actually disagree. I think it's kind of well-crafted in the sense that he gets down there. I mean, yeah, it's a little bit convenient that the alarm goes off and that immediately mm -hmm. lets him know that, you know, that's his, uh -huh. his uh, weakness. But I do like the fact that it's, it's pretty like, he's basically going down there to scope him out. He immediately figures out that he has a weakness and that that's what makes him think that he can take auntie's offer because right. he thinks that he has a secret weapon. Right. Well, I'm glad that they sped that along because otherwise they wouldn't have had so much time to spend with the children in the, uh, <laughs> you know, in the trees in the water. Yeah, so. yeah. What a loss that would be. <laughs> hey, but before we go, can we talk a little bit about Master Blaster himself? Because two things. Yeah. One, the whole concept of the little person on top of the big person reminds me of El Topo, which many things remind me of El Topo, mostly when I'm under the influence of narcotics. Um, <laughs> that's, I mean, that's just such a cool image. It's, it's great. And um, Angelo Rosita, oh my God, this guy, this guy has been, he was in Freaks. He was in, this guy, he, he had one of the longest careers in Hollywood. He was in Freaks? I didn't realize that. He was in that. Freaks, yes. Holy shit. He was, he was in the silent version of Mysterious Island. He was one of the little little monsters. Um, he was, uh, his first credit is 1927. Holy crap. He was, he played a lot of pygmies. Tarzan the Ape Man, Sign of the Cross, which if you ever get to see the uncensored version of Sign of the Cross. So a 19, a movie, 1932, that had to be censored. Oh man, pre-code movies are the bomb. He's he's a pygmy fighting a, a gladiator and gets impaled on a, on a this is what our great grandparents were watching. Just you know, awful stuff. He was in, he was uh, one of the little pigs in March of the Wooden Soldiers. He played a lot of wow. small roles. He was a munchkin, okay? I mean, yes, he did get typecast. He he made a couple of movies, at least one I can think of, Spooks Run Wild with uh, Lug Bell Lugosi, where he was, and he's basically playing the, you know, mini-me to Lugosi's Dr. Evil. He was in everything. He was one of, he was one of the great little person actors in, in classic Hollywood. And, you know, man, I, I don't know how old he was. At the, well, I guess I don't know what. He was the one in Freaks who's walking across the table at the. Well, he was. He was born oh, in, wow. Yeah. yeah, he was born yeah, in 1908. The 1908. Wow. And he's, in, he's not Australian. So, right? No. Uh, no, he was born in Nebraska, so decidedly oh. not. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so 1908 to 1984. So he was pretty old. 
and that this is one of his last last roles. Um, he's doing oh, he it from, wow, yeah, stuff, he didn't look yeah. that old. He was I mean, the spider in like... HR Puffin stuff. Oh, wow, yeah, he's <laughs> that's incredible. So, I mean, so... just oh man, that this is the kind of guy I'd like to you know, you'd like to have an interview with because he's seen it all and and probably just had amazing stories to tell. Uh, but he was he was awesome in this, and and you know we do get to we do, you know this is kind of bringing back the whole idea of the energy crisis and everything because although this movie is more atomic bomb stuff and all, we still right. get in that whoever controls the energy controls you know everything. Yeah, I, I would also sorry I'd like to call out uh, I, I was I had been going through his uh, his uh, filmography. He was also in a film 1977's Cinderella 2000. Which I, I love this so much. I have to read the synopsis in the year in the year nineteen or in the year twenty forty seven. Uh, sex is forbidden, God. and Big Brother uses robots to keep uh, an eye on everyone. One young girl tries to out with the government so she can be with a man she loves. It's uh, it's it's an uh, I think that's a that needs to be our probably. What role episode. did he play? Yeah, let me guess, a dwarf. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but no, he played Cinderella. Um, oh. No, he yeah, he played one of the dwarfs. <laughs> You know you're in trouble when the movie's name is Cinderella 2000. The first thing you see is in the year 2047. Well, it's like, well, this is all a lie. <laughs> I'm not going to trust anything this movie says. Oh. But yeah, I love I love his performance. I mean, obviously it's a not a he doesn't have a, a ton of of lines in there, but I yeah I, th I think he's great. Um, now it's kind of interesting. I he has kind of that that weird way of talking. And mm. I, one thing that I thought was kind of interesting was I went back and I found what is probably, was probably like the shooting script or close to it. And in the script, he actually has to speak with like a vocoder or is that, was that what you called it? Oh, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it says like he can barely talk. And I thought that was kind of interesting that they, they scrapped that idea, but they kept the way that he talks. Interesting. I don't know. I yeah. heard, I don't know if I saw this, read this, heard this on YouTube. I don't know what it was. Uh, but the idea that he spoke very simply because he knew about Blaster and he wanted right. to. That yeah. makes sense too. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you know, I did. That's, I was just going to ask, why does he have that weird way of talking? Yeah, that makes sense. And this isn't a role that had a lot of great acting, you know, uh, opportunities yeah. and everything, but I genuinely felt bad when, when, you know, Blaster is hurt and he goes up to him and everything. And, and he's more than just muscle to this guy. Yeah. He's, he's almost, it almost like he's a son. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, let's, let's, let's get to, to that because I think that's probably the, uh, you know, the thing everyone remembers about this film. I, another thing that's kind of interesting, the vehicle that Max has at the beginning and then the, you know, this is basically the pretext for starting a fight with him. Apparently, that was actually a vehicle that I think they had actually made for the Road Warrior and ended up not using. And then they reused it for this film. So I thought that was kind of interesting. So he, I mean, he picks a fight and uh, we have what follows is probably one of the most well-known action sequences of the 80s, I would argue. Oh, yeah. Uh, listen, Thunderdome. Here's the here's one of the problems I have with the movie is that Thunderdome, it, it's it's like uh, this was the reason the movie was made. Someone had I got an idea, he had a dream or something, and rubber giant rubber bands and a big cage and everything, and it's like let's make a movie around this. 
And the, the problem is, once it's over, if that's not the climax of the movie, and there is, I, you know, there was no way it was going to be. It's a Mad Max movie. The climax is going to be a chase. How do you how do you top that? You know, if if this were if this were WrestleMania, you would not have Thunderdome right before intermission and then have to, you know, everybody else has to perform <laughs> afterwards. There's no getting back from that. I will argue when we get to the chase that there were some other problems going on there. But Thunderdome's great. I could watch Thunder the actual Thunderdome scene many, many times. <laughs> what, what's actually funny for me with Thunderdome is when you first see the actual dome, to me, it's actually really unimpressive. It's a small... Mm -hmm. Looks like a looks like a jungle gym we yeah. had as a kid, but then once they get in there and it is swarming with the people, I, I I thought that was to me that was when he looks up and you see overhead and there are it is absolutely covered with people like it's covered with maggots. Yeah. It is just to me it was it that's when it was like oh okay and it's that when it becomes much more menacing and dark. But when you just see it at first, it's like, it's a jungle gym. We we climbed on those. I I fell off of one when I was in you know second grade. <laughs> So yeah, it was just so it it was kind of neat to see that how it transforms when it's actually being used for what it's yeah. being used for. But it's, it's the rubber bands too. You know, every every year, oh, yeah. every <laughs> year they, they they try to like come up with some new sports for the Olympics, and it's always something painfully lame like synchronized dancing or something. And you know, where's Thunderdome? Huh? Thunderdome and Rollerball. Oh man, you want to see the ratings skyrocket? <laughs> Thunderdome started UFC. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I don't know, I'm making that up, but hey, you know, it, 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 is, it is funny that you mentioned that because this is definitely the like bread and circuses part of this mm -hmm. town, right? I mean, this is this is basically, and and I think it's kind of interesting too because when they before they start the fight, they have what kind of sounds like this whole scripted speech that Doctor Dealgood gives, where he's talking about how you know fighting leads to Warren and Warren leads to you know is what got us into this mess. So now yeah. we have this system where one one man you know two men enter one man leaves but on the other hand i mean it, it is a way of like i guess conflict resolution but ultimately it really is a way of kind of keeping the people satisfied with entertainment oh yeah there's no cable tv you, know, you gotta get your jollies when you can and i think of myself as a good-hearted non-violent man but if there were thunderdome down the street every friday <laughs> night i know where i would be every friday night well, you know, th this this particular movie, um, you know, a lot of movies that were made way back and that I haven't seen, you know, these sort of scenes leak out and you 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 know what to expect. For me, I mean, the, the thing that you said, Paul, about how Thunderdome wasn't all that impressive, I thought Thunderdome was something much larger. You know, it, in my mind, I was like, oh, it's kind of like the, the Roman Colosseum. And then mm. when we got to it, I'm like, oh, it's just a... It's just a half circle. Okay. You know, but I mean, like I said, is I had never seen the scenes of the movie. So I, I didn't know what Thunderdome was. So, I mean, most of this stuff had been sort of, I had been sheltered from it. So I, I didn't know going in all Thunderdome is just this little thing, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's still cool. But like in my mind, I thought Thunderdome was like this huge place, you know, and there's, there's all this fighting, but yeah, it's, um, it's literally a dome and, it sounds With like thunder. thunder i don't know yeah yeah i mean it does make sense that it's small though because the entire point is it's two people right fighting and it's not you know, like a gladiatorial i mean it is gladiatorial but it's not like you have you know the 20 guys with like nets and spears and stuff the other thing about this is uh you know when the guy's helmet comes off 
I guess there's like a lot of memes with that guy's face. And, and oh, yeah. I, I, I never knew what that was from until Wednesday night when I watched this movie. I've seen that image of that guy a hundred times, but I never knew where it was from. I don't know if I've ever seen a meme. I, I was thinking, I, I hate yeah. to bring it up again twice in one podcast, but I always thought that that face, uh, I think I was thinking, I've seen the Goonies guy a lot. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. Which, you know, way, way more over the top than Master was. The, I don't, and maybe it wasn't a meme, but I, I've seen that image a lot of times. Right. I'm like, where is this from? You know, why do they keep showing this? You know, yeah. and and it's like, oh, that's that's from here. So, so we talked about this one when, when we talked about the original Mad Max. Um, but the first time I saw us again, it was it had been so long since I'd seen even the first Mad Max. But I remembered the the disabled guy in the woods, and I was yeah, like, Benno. oh, it's him. And so mm-hmm. I made that connection, and I think. I wasn't sure if that actually was ever an intention in this. Um, and if not, it, to, when I saw the film, again, I made that connection and thought that that was it. And I thought Max was going to make that connection. Um, but I, does anybody I, know if that was intentional? Or? I don't think so. I, I don't think it was. Uh, I don't think it was supposed to be him. I don't think it was supposed to be a reference. I mean, I think that this was just a way of kind of showing how Max could be just as tough as anyone else but ultimately when it came down to killing this person who didn't necessarily understand what he was doing was where he he really he couldn't go through with it right and that's where he kind of probably differed from a lot mm-hmm. of the people who, who right. would have been in the same situation right right i, I just i wasn't sure though if, if the intention ever had been um and like i said when the first time i saw it i thought that's what it was i didn't i didn't there was no indication to me that that who that wasn't who it was. Just like there was no indication to me that Bruce Spence wasn't the the gyro captain at that point. Yeah, I because don't, I mean, the amount of time had had gone since I'd seen those. I also feel like by this point, George Miller had pretty much. I I don't want to say disowned, but he was probably you know I think we talked before about how he was kind of unhappy with the way the original film turned out. So I think that's why one of the reasons you might not get any references to the original is. He, he had kind of put that behind him, right? And he, obviously, I mean, yeah, one of the great, great, great uh, sequence. I think it, it was kind of interesting. I read that apparently, you know, they were supposed to use a lot of stunt people for this scene, but they ended up using Mel Gibson almost more than anyone else because he was so good at really selling, you know, being in the, that in that uh, that harness. And he, I think George Miller said it was just a matter of like the way that he moved and the way that he performed in the thing was was very natural versus the stunt people. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Good for him. Yeah. Well, it it, it did look like you expect a stuntman's going to be doing most of that stuff, and it I didn't get the feeling, you know, this wasn't Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. I mean, you, you I couldn't tell where a stuntman was taken over. So that's that's good. It's always risky, of course, to. I guess if that's if you're gonna do something like that, you probably want to film Thunderdome last, just in case there's a horrible, horrible, disfiguring well, accident. And you know how on like the shows like you know American Gladiators or whatever the 50 iterations after that, you know how they got those big, for lack of a better word, you know like big Q-tips. It's like a it's like a plastic tube and it's got <laughs> the uh, foam on the ends where they hit each other with. Yeah. Okay. I mean, if if you build a dome and get us some bungee cords, I mean, I would still get in there and do that. I mean, I don't want to get a shot with an arrow. Yeah. I want to get a shot with an arrow, but if you're just going to hit me with one of those swabs, I'm all for that. 
Oh, we <laughs> like, could we, we could all do it. Like, like, we could do a raffle. See, see who emerges as king of the podcast. It's going to be Renee, but <laughs> probably. Yeah, <laughs> taking you all down. That's right. <laughs> um, yeah, they also. I I was watching a, a super old interview where they were talking about how I guess the you know the whole thing was basically controlled with air jacks, but they uh, Mel Gibson said that they were he was kind of at you know, at the mercy of the guy who is running the thing because they would, I guess, I guess even like a little bit of pressure on the thing would send them like bouncing all over the place. So I thought <laughs> that was kind of funny. You know, again, it's, it's such a iconic sequence. It's when, when we talk about the legacy of this film, we'll talk about how, even though this is not the best remembered or most imitated one, it's, it's like every like I, I, I think uh, I, I posted in the chat earlier where I, this is totally unrelated to, to recording this tonight, but earlier today I said something in, in, in uh, the, in chat to in at work to my boss. And he was like, welcome to the Thunderdome. And I was like, <laughs> yep, it's, it's just synonymous. It's kind of funny. The other thing that I really liked about this, we kind of touched on a little bit was, was, is it Dr. 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 Deedlegood? Um yep. Is, who's essentially like a, a game show host and you've got the game yeah. show hostesses. I love how, I, I absolutely love that whole bit. Cause like you said, it's yep. this sort of scripted speech, but it's this, it's also this, you know, the, the, the fake smiles on the, on the hostesses that were with him is just to me, I love that part. And uh -huh. of course the, the wheel of, well, he, uh, he had a great line. He, too, literal wheel of fortune. About, he, he's, yeah. it's, he said something like, I can trust you not to break the rules because there are none. Yeah. 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 <laughs> But then there are, but then there is a rule, which is it's a rule, yeah. Yes, yeah. Well, um, the other thing was, I mean, weren't weren't they like she was basically calling for them to kill Max, weren't at, you know, because he didn't kill the guy, but you know they, you know, people were like like shouting out the rules, you know, two men enter, one man one man leaves, so you got to let him leave. So well, that yeah. was yeah because originally that was that was Pig Killer who starts the chant because he had met Max earlier and he liked him. So he, right, he, but see he, that that sort of led into the ending where again it's like I thought she's gonna shoot him in the head, but anyway. Well, no, because yeah, that that's that when she jumps down and she's like, you know, listen, the reason that she set him up to do this in the first place is even though this is a very cruel, very tough society, there are still rules. And she still needs to be political about what she's doing, which is why she couldn't just kill Blaster in the first place. And then again with Max, yeah. like she couldn't just kill him because even then there are rules. And the rule is if you break a deal, you, you know, you spin the wheel. Now that wheel is mostly <laughs> bad shit and it's obviously not yeah. good if you have to spin it, uh, especially the fact that like one of the biggest thing on there, uh, the biggest <laughs> uh pieces of the pie on there was Auntie's Choice, which, yeah. you know. Right, right. Gulag was probably the good the good option. Yeah, but he was so close two. to acquittal. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, I, I just want to jump back. How did Pig yeah. Killer get there? I thought Pig Killer was stuck in the underground as part of his punishment. They let him out so he could watch. Let, yeah, I think they let him out because, you know. Where's even... he going to go? Into the desert? <laughs> yeah, exactly. well, but, uh, no, but run around in the town like everybody else does. I mean, the whole point was I that think he they was just down there. During, when he's supposed yeah, to be working. Well. It's like he can run around I mean, at night. You know, you know it's bad. You know it's bad when when Max gets you know basically you're, we're gonna we're gonna throw you out of Barter Town and let you wander the desert and everyone's like oh damn man I was hoping for death for you sorry dude 
<laughs> you know, so yeah, they'll let him out. He's gonna go back. He, he's like, and and he I'm anywhere. I'm a little confused as to how gulag means we're gonna put you out in the desert. I mean, to me, well, really is means I'm playing you Call know, of Duty. But listen, it, it's supposed to be yeah. like some labor camps, right? And, well, traditionally, Australia is one gigantic gulag. That's how they all got there. Oh, was that course. what? Okay, is that yeah, what they know. mean? Okay, I, I guess that works. Yeah. What's the big? What's the big face? Did that have any meaning? I, it just looked cool kinda, and was funny. I mean, yeah, yeah it's kind of cool to look at. Just to just to let you go out with a little dignity. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was gonna say. I think it was insult to injury. Yeah. And I really don't want to run up on one of those things where it sucks you into the desert. I mean, yeah, that can yeah. be fun. That's okay, why you well, don't listen, want to go out into the desert in the first place. The one we should all feel bad for is the horse who they, they just yes. dangle a glass of water in front of his face. And, That's you know, awesome. which is like the same thing would happen if you had, like, if you could just hold a bottle of gin in front of me and I'd follow you around <laughs> the end of the earth. Now we know but you're then, you know, This yeah. poor dumb animal is like, I think I'm getting closer. And you know, it was, uh, yeah. that's just yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, it can't get any worse than this. And then here comes, here comes the never-ending story scene. Okay. Also, but you know, also arguably okay. a plot hole that they would waste a perfectly good horse on. Yes. basically send it out into the desert and die. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I well, thought he was going to eat it. Oh, were you saying yeah. something, Renee? I mean, and maybe he would have if it wouldn't mm -hmm. have gotten sucked down. I don't. Know. I don't. I. I don't. I, I, I don't know what I was saying because Alan started talking about eating horses. <laughs> and, that was it. and you got hungry? <laughs> Way to bring us down, Alan. I was, I was trying to look for a correlation between this movie and my childhood, and I really don't know. <laughs> except now if you had eaten a horse, first, you would have? No, I mean, my first exposure to this movie was, uh, of course, was the Tina Turner song because, of course, I never saw it. And yeah. so, and, and ironically, it wasn't until Wednesday night that I finally understood the lyrics of the song. Um, okay, because when, when this came out, I guess I was, well, I was 15, and when she goes, she goes, uh, what, all we need is what's beyond, I always thought yeah. she was saying, and then they're gone, because I didn't know it was from Thunderdome. <laughs> and then the oh, other night, I'm listening to it at the end, and I hear you know, Thunderdome, I'm like, oh my god, oh. that's what they've been saying all this time. Alan, this is not an REM song. I mean, she's enunciating the words pretty well. <laughs> no, that's what it is. It, okay, if if you listen to, uh, here's a good one, Sunflower by Post Malone. Tell me the lyrics of that song. You can't. You got to look them up. She's enunciating so well. Hey, I know what she's saying. And then they're gone. Why would uh, I ever need to look that up, Bill? That, I knew okay, exactly yeah. what she was saying. <laughs> Mad Max Beyond and then they were gone. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Uh, one, other, one other piece of trivia, not mentioned any, and I don't think they're even credited as this. But it, you mentioned the the Doctor Dealgood's showgirls. Uh, in the script, they are named Tweedledum and Tweedledumber. Oh no. Uh, good one. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Okay. Gosh, I don't even remember them. I'm gonna yeah. have to look them up. I, I I couldn't even I couldn't even figure out who they were credited credited as. Uh, in in the, I mean, I assume that they're credited because they're even though they don't have any lines. But, mm -hmm. anyways, uh, so yeah, Max is out in the desert, and we are we get to Act Two, which is my favorite act. I don't know about you guys. 
Um, and yeah, this is this is obviously <laughs> where <laughs> this is where the the film obviously shifts tone, and we yep. will are, we will discuss why that's an okay thing. <laughs> and it's, it's it's less than it's less than what an hour into the film i mean well is, is this where you want to unload on this movie or do you want to wait well i will wait, wait, wait. Mm. I'll, I'll, okay. I'll let you keep talking well no no i mean i mean yeah we're we're you know we we get to we obviously uh he's he's in peril we think that this is the end of mad max until he is miraculously rescued by a mysterious person in the desert no, no. The monkey comes first. Oh, that's true. Yeah, the monkey. And where the her. fuck? Where the fuck does the monkey come from? Did the kids send the monkey? If so, no, they just sent the monkey out to die. Pig killer Which... sent him. That's his monkey. Did he? Oh, okay. You weren't Sorry. even paying attention wow, to the movie. See, yeah, I was paying attention to the movie. I just missed that part. <laughs> you just thought it was some random monkey that they introduced. I did. I was like, well, who the, the where the hell does monkey <laughs> come from? I'm telling you, you got to go back and watch the first two minutes. It explains so much. He didn't get shot with an arrow, and that was his monkey. I the, I knew yeah. that because <laughs> yeah. I rewatched the first two yeah, minutes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. I was still I was trying to fill, figure out why he was battling, and, and then they were gone. Paul, it, is, it, it is screenwriting 101 that you never introduce a monkey halfway through the movie. Yeah, it's Chekhov's monkey. Come on. <laughs> now, I, I do, I okay, have always wondered how that monkey found him. It was this like a part St. Bernard or something because he, he definitely finds him in the middle of a billion miles of desert. To deliver do they that show water, him? But... Do they actually show him sending the monkey out after him? Yeah, he's. he's am I, down am I the his... only scientist here? I mean, it's a desert. Was he going to get lost in the smells of the jungle? <laughs> Pretty easy to trail someone in the desert. Um... It either smells like sand or it smells like horse crap. You know. <laughs> yeah, you can just follow the horse. Yeah, follow it... the horse dung. Yeah. Like Is it the same scene when they're sending Max off on the horse that they shows him? Sending the monkey out? Uh, no, I think it's well, it's I mean, like same scene, that. but it's, is it? It's just later. It's a little later. Okay, yeah, I must have blanked. I mean, he sends him out after they send him to the desert, but yeah, he had a monkey. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Everyone, uh, yeah. No, no, it, it's it's the scene. It's the scene where where they're they're because in, after they send him off, they cut back to what is now happening to Master, who is being like. Oh, okay. Yeah. Basically bullied by the by the guards. They look, you know, they're they're telling him to fix something, and he's like, "No, you fix." And they lower him to the pigs. And while that's happening, because Blaster had the monkey, right? Uh, he he got the monkey. He had the monkey in the scene where Max first goes down there. So yeah, they they show that Pig Killer has now has the monkey, and he sends it off. He gives it a little okay. thing of water. Okay. Yeah. I think I was just too worried about what was happening to Master. <laughs> Fair enough. But he really didn't need the water. It just goes over the hill and he's got that there's plenty of it. He ate the monkey. Uh he still he still wanders for a while while, I think, after he gets the water, right? I mean he's he's I think it's one dune. One dune. No, no I one it's implied it's then a he while, wishes right? he had died. Yeah. It's, it's a it's a, it's a montage. They they all look the same. So it had, you know, it could be one dune, it could be a hundred. <laughs> um so yeah, okay. He's he's rescued by the monkey. Which it's funny that you remembered that scene, but didn't remember where the monkey came from. <laughs> but but eventually he's res rescued. Who? I have a lot of thoughts. I have a lot of thoughts. I probably got to talk for a long time about this. Does anyone else want to jump in here and discuss this entire second act? Yeah, we'll yes, talk. I mean, I've got a lot to say there. about the second. Get in there. Act. I just I don't like it. I mean, well, I mean, so I mean, <laughs> well, I don't want. I, I want you to be able to have unless you want to come. 
come along second and say why I'm wrong. No, no, um, I want you to explain why you hate it, and then I'll explain why you're wrong. That's how this goes. Uh, okay, well, uh, <laughs> a number has to do with like the the ages of the kids, and so th- this has happened. The the whole the pocky clips or whatever the like they say, mm. um, you know, when that happens, right? This is this is they they were around for that at one point because they remember it apparently. And this is not that far past it because Tina Turner yeah. is around and Max is around and they're not that old and they remember, you know, well before that. So these kids, what age are this supposed to happen? There's like literally I looked up there's there's like 60 kids. There's like 60 kids there. Some of them are like five years old or less. Now, you could say, well, maybe they were Savannah's kids. That's fine. How old is she supposed to be? If you say, well, maybe she had them when she was 12, then she's supposed to be 17, even though she's actually only 23. So let's say she's supposed to be 17. She was 12. Well, then she would have remembered. She wouldn't be like, she Mm. wouldn't been like, me talk, me talk the telly, (laughs) me do the telly, me, me talk, me big fly thing. Unless I do have a fan theory that the reason, so just the, the degradation of their language, the degradation of their knowledge the oldest kids, well, the youngest for the youngest kids either would have had been been their children, would have meant the oldest kids weren't that old when this happened, or that the that the that there were a lot of people who were pregnant on that plane and had them. But the oldest kids should have some knowledge of this, and so the degradation of their knowledge and their intelligence and their their language. All the only thing I can think of is when the plane crashed. There was a massive gas leak, and they all got brain damage. That's <laughs> the only thing. So it, that was so frustrating that the timing doesn't work. No, if it, it does was, not work. But that's yeah. what, but here's, he he wanted to tell a story about a cargo cult, and there's no way that you can ball peen hammer that into the timeline. So we we just ignore that. I I don't have a problem with that. I actually think it's kind of cool. I like the part where they're showing the pictures and, and all that because cargo cults have always been a real fascinating. Uh, thing but well, then, no, then they should have make any logical sense i mean my understanding is that was actually it was supposed wasn't supposed to be a mad max film to begin with it was mm-hmm. supposed to be like you said this cargo cult film then that's the film they should have made uh, and not mad max film and try to shoehorn in the timeline because the time they it is important it is not something you can dismiss because it's important that max and auntie and these people remember what the time beforeland was and then you have these people who are like or made the kids younger. Don't yeah, have, have yeah. I mean, and I, I can, I, I'm fine with her being 23 and playing younger, but the number of kids they had. Right. And it just, the time doesn't work. So it doesn't if, work. Here's the thing. Do, you know, yeah. Here, here's the, here's the thing. The, the time, the time actually does kind of work. So and we talked about this earlier and I can't remember <laughs> if I, if I, if I mentioned that, yeah, this is, this is about, this is maybe about 15 or 20 years before or after the first movie. Um, it's again, like it's kind of vague, but in the, in the script, yeah, again, going by the scripts, like, you know, I said, the second one, the road warrior, it says he looks about three years older. And I don't know if this is necessarily canon, but in the script, it says that barter town is the, the closest thing to a, to a real city that Max has seen in, a, in almost 20 years. So right. I think you can say that it's probably been between 15 and 20 years. There's also something else in the script I'll mention in a minute. But the thing is that the kids don't actually remember any of this stuff. None of this stuff that they are talking about is actually stuff that they remember. The reason that they've turned it into 
this I, you could call it a cult you can call it i mean it's it's really closer to what george miller was basically saying i mean he literally said this in an interview was the idea is that if you don't give people mythology and legends they will create them and that's essentially yeah. you know exactly what these kids have done now there it's kind of interesting because there was one detail and i've i've I actually agree with you. It's it's very hard from the film to figure out why it's only kids and there are no adults. There is one thing I really wish they had kept. And, you know, maybe I don't know if they shot it and deleted it or they just didn't shoot it at all. But they actually do explain this in the script. Basically, this was there was this whole I guess I guess a, a lot of people did survive from that plane and they did find this place. And there were a lot of adults. But right. you, you see in the film, they talk about the um, kind of the exodus. The, the Captain Walker led this group of people out. Um, they have, you know, they, on, on the wall, they kind of have it uh, enshrined. And that's actually kind of interesting because you can't really read it, but the script is actually very specific. It says it, that he set out on uh, November 5th of 05, which so that's presumably, you know, 2005. Right. But anyway, so so the idea and this is this is the one key thing that they don't show. And, you know, so, again, it's not necessarily canon according to what's on screen, but they basically after they show that like list of names and they, you know, they say like all these people went out on this expedition, they actually have progressively more and more of these uh, like groups of names of other expeditions that set out and they get smaller and smaller until the very last one is just Savannah's name. So she was actually, she had actually left to go and find, you know, uh, to, I guess, Captain Walker or, you know, civilization. And, you know, in the script, she's, she had actually left and I guess like permanently. And she, that was why it was kind of a big deal in terms of their religion, because she went to find yeah. Captain Walker and she literally thought that she found him. Right. So, so the idea is basically, yeah, it does. It's, it's, I've always had trouble reconciling that. And I thought it was actually like, it clicked when I read the script. It was like, okay, there were, it's not like just adult or just the kids survived and they're all young. The, the adults were, you know, they kept having kids. They'd been down there for like 20 years and they, they kept sending out expeditions to try to find society, I guess. And they, none of them ever came back. Um, this Dude, script also I'm... does mention Savannah has a kid that's a couple years old. So okay. I guess her, her and the, yeah, sorry, go ahead. I'm fine with that. But the thing is with the number of kids and the, even if, so, so that means they weren't without, with adults, with, they weren't without adults for 20 years. That means they weren't without adults for maybe five. And those adults wouldn't have had them, me talk, me talk the big, we talk <laughs> the big tell. They would not, the, their language would have not have degraded like that. And the parents would have at least given them some knowledge of what was going on. And the older kids still, if Savannah had a kid, she, and this was 20 years and she was, if, let's say she, it crashed and she was born three years later or whatever. I mean, so no, there were no kids on the plane, I guess then, or what I'm saying is the, the adults would have been around then that, that actually makes it even worse because the adults would have been around even longer then. And so it might explain for the younger children, but it won't explain why Savannah and them, me talk pretty like thing, monkey, ooh, ooh, ook, ooga. I mean, well, it just. They're not even, they're not talking like that, though. They're talking in slang, which I actually think is a very interesting idea because 
they are in this very isolated location mm -hmm. where, yeah, they, you know, if, if most, if you look on the wall, like all those names, that was probably a majority of the adults that were setting out. And so they probably had a, you know, yeah, they still had some adults there, but it was probably a much, a pretty small group. And there was kind of this, this degradation where the, th all the things that those adults were telling the kids then kind of got, it was kind of, you know, it's kind of the, that game of telephone where it turned yeah. into other things. I, I actually like that aspect too. I like the fact that a lot of the, the slang is, it's not just, it's not like baby talk. It is a very kind of, it's, religious. It's new, yeah. It's, well, it's religious, but it's also like kind of a new vernacular, right? Like mm -hmm. they're, they're using a, a bunch of words. They use, you know, they talk about Sonic and they, you know, they, they do talk about the, uh, you know, the, the, the game called turbulence, but it's mm -hmm. a, it's a degradation of what the, the stories that they were originally being told. I, I think I would buy the whole thing more if it was more than a generation. Didn't they also think yeah, that, yeah. that the plane was going to fly again? Yeah, and, and and I just I just don't buy it that the the the, the oldest kids were that young when it happened. Think so. think of the fact that you know the Road Warrior is three years after the fall of society, and people are running around in SMM gear, wearing hockey masks, and you know I mean places where they're doing that now. So no, no, yeah, I was, I was just <laughs> saying I'm with Bill. I, well, I mean, I, I'm obviously the whole way. this whole this whole subplot is so that they can get more people to go back to Bartertown town. Cause they needed more than just Mad Max to get, you know, all that stuff done. So they just needed some more people, but this is how they, I, you know, this is how they wrote getting yeah. more people to go back to Bartertown. town. I mean, I, to me, it just felt like a completely different movie. It didn't feel like yeah, it was, it was like yeah. a, if oh, I wanted to enough. see hook or something like that it really felt uh, like it's good well i'm saying it's it's like a and i'm not saying disparagingly i mean it's it's for its audience i mean um it, you know it was written for kids it seems and it was like oh look it's this fun kids movie and it's just sort of like the kids fantasy of living without the adults but oh wow we kind of do want to miss miss them okay maybe we want to get back so it, it was sort of like a happier version of yeah. lord of the flies it did provide the, the funniest line in the movie, though, which is when, when they show the picture of the stripper and the kids all yell out, Mrs. Walker. Yeah, Mrs. I almost Walker. fell out of my chair. <laughs> I just about lost it. Yeah. So, yeah, that just feels that for me. I think I think I, I understand what you're saying in terms of the fact that it's it's not. And that, yeah, this is a PG-13 film. It's not this is not portrayed in like a dark light, but. At the same time, yeah, it was kind of his. It was like Lord of the Flies was one of the things he was kind of influenced by. Now, obviously, he didn't go down that dark route, but you know, obviously, Lord of the Flies is not. You know, it's all about kids, but it's not a kid's story because it's right. about you know the the what happens when a society and this, and this kind of gets back to what I was talking about originally or earlier, where you know Tina Turner and Barter Town is what happens when a society that remembers itself is trying to rebuild itself or recreate itself whereas this is the other side of the coin what happens when there's a group of people who do not remember society and they have been told about it in stories but to them it is almost this religious text right it is almost this it's kind of the the creation of a new religion or a new myth in place of one that doesn't exist which no, i, don't no, know, I yeah. Okay. I, I, yeah. And I guess, I guess, I, I guess, I can see the point of it seems kind of cutesy, 
Um, I I kind of like, uh, well, I don't I don't want to say I like that, but I'm okay with that because I feel like, yeah, they could have gotten really dark with it, but I'm kind of okay that they didn't because the other thing is, you know, to Alan's point, like this is not just a uh, a, a a random group of people. The question really was that that George Miller was trying to you know explore was what if you know Max really spends a lot of his time kind of trying not to help people and trying not to be involved mm-hmm. with people but what does he what happens when he runs into people that he almost can't help himself from trying to help them right because he knows ultimately that they are helpless and even if they haven't been surviving and they're pretty you know pretty tough little kids ultimately like when they try to when they're talking about going to barter town like he knows that they will be eaten alive and so he almost has to he's almost forced to step up and actually you know act like uh not not the person they think he is a savior but yeah. he does have to kind of try to okay. save them well a he knows it's his wait, wait, I want, wait i want i do want there's a couple things i've been trying to get in to say because there's a couple two points one the the whole idea of the story of the sort of the two competing society two different versions of society the one that remembers and the one that doesn't is would be a great idea for a movie but it needs to be set post post-apocalyptic it needs to be set a couple generations down where one is remembering, but it's not necessarily people are remembering because they they were live then. They, you need to have that history. You need to have some time passed. You can't just say big boom. Oh, now we know. Forget we forget what this was. And the other, you need to have that time for that to evolve. And I think that would make a good story. This just isn't that. And then the whole thing about Max needs to find people that he can help and be, you know, shit. That was the second movie. That was the second movie where he's he's in it for himself and finally. He, he he helps them out partially because he's helping himself out, but still. Uh, so I think those are two different things. But again, I, I, yeah, I think it would be a great story if it, you had that about those two societies. That, that the thing you described there would have been really interesting. That's not what this was to me. You know, I was thinking about like you know what happens after this. I mean, he they took the people like the older people. So, I mean, in in my opinion, it was like to progress the original story. You know, we I got to go get some people and go back to Barter Town. What they left at the, you know, the the green water, which maybe the green water is the key to all this. Maybe that makes you forget and it makes time pass <laughs> or something. But but anyway, I mean, what they left there is now an even younger generation of people that, yeah. you know, I, I guess maybe they can take care of themselves. It doesn't really appear that they've got any like you know, what do you call it? like natural predators or anything. So as long as they can make food and have water, I mean, you know, I guess they would, they would survive. Yeah. They're doing fine there. That place uh, compared to everything else we've seen in this movie, that place was a paradise. There's only a handful of them that actually, Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Renee. Oh no. I was just going to say, I was, I was like, why did they leave? Let's go to this busted ass city. Yeah. Only a handful of them actually left. Was what, and, like and maybe five? they were there. Maybe they were there in the end at that, like the the new place. Maybe they did go back and get everybody. Maybe they went back I, and I got don't him. know. I could drag, back. Yeah, you couldn't recognize. Drag him to the city where the water clicks when you put a Geiger counter up to it. Yeah, good point. <laughs> yeah, I don't. That's actually interesting that you mentioned that because that's one thing that I've always kind of thought was an interesting question. Is it really is you know the 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 kind of almost sad thing about this is when they when he sets out from uh from the group in the desert and the you know the two kids that follow him like that's the last time they ever see any of those other people uh i i mean it is there is the question of like they're surviving down there and obviously i guess there's fresh water and stuff but it's really not sustainable right because if they keep 
kind of increasing in population, eventually they're going to kind of uh, exhaust all those resources. Okay, anyway. Thanos, thanks for the heads up. <laughs> <laughs> us all. Uh, Renee, do you have any thoughts? I feel like uh, a couple of us have been kind of talking a lot about this, but I'm interested what in your you take, Paul? since you I'm love uh, Feral <laughs> Yeah, oh, I missed him so much. Um, uh, yeah, I had a lot of issues with why they wanted to leave, and then they left, and he followed them because he had to, and uh, <laughs> they just don't listen. It's nothing but their, trouble. Their willingness to help him in Barter Town, what did that stem from? Because then, you know, they still wanted to find this captain. I mean, yeah, is that yeah, what they that well that that was i mean that was part of it right because oh sorry renee go ahead no i was just gonna just say that that's kind of it derailed a little bit no pun intended <laughs> uh, but i think i think that was that was basically when savannah decides to go off like she i mean they think that you know he's he's basically their savior and when he says no i'm not then she basically rejects him and but she's still kind of clinging to the rest of this theology, which says that there is a tomorrow morrow land. And she, you know, she even has that line. It's like, well, if they still believe that there's a tomorrow morrow land that they want to get to, and they say, well, if he's not Captain Walker, he's just like one of us. And if he can make it through the deserts, and then so do we. So why don't we just try to go out? Which obviously people have been, you know, their groups mm -hmm. have been trying to do that for a while and they, they always fail. But that's yeah. kind of her kind of rationale behind that is if he can do it and he's not the savior, then let's save ourselves. Which is kind of interesting when you, it's, it's almost a rejection of their, their religion in a way. All right. Yeah. I'll lean them all that over. I give them credit that they kill a kid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, in a really But then they completely, way. like, forget yeah. about him. I don't think they really, like, you know, like, sad for a really moment. Good. And that's like, eh. He wasn't a likable kid, you know. I don't um, even, what was his name? I, like, I was like, uh. Dusty. I, 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 Sandy. I know Savannah, Sandy. and I can't, oh, I don't know nobody else's name. His name was Sandy. Oh please! Oh, no. Let that be true. <laughs> oh. No, they, they oh, actually. It's funny. It's funny because I think they actually. Uh, I think they retreated a little bit from from making it any darker because uh, again, when I read the script, there's actually uh, a second kid that dies, and he just straight up like succumbs to the wasteland, and they basically just leave his body. So, nah. yeah. How, how did the one kid die? I don't even remember. It's eaten by the sarlacc. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Oh wait, wait, no. His Mandalorian armor saved yes. him. Oh. But he's gonna grow up to be a guy that peddles the sarlacc juice. <laughs> yes. He fertilized the desert. You know that desert should be a lot more fertile than it is with all the organic <laughs> matter it keeps sucking down. Yeah. Yeah. I. I don't know. I. I still like. I. I. I do love elements of this. I love the whole. Honestly, the whole viewmaster thing. Maybe just because I had a Viewmaster when I was a kid, oh, yeah. and I was entranced by that thing. Um, the, the the whole the whole Sonic thing, the fact that uh, uh, who is it? Gecko is is almost like this this he, like shaman kid with the with the uh, the the LP the the uh, the record. I don't know. I I kind of even I don't know. Yeah, I I could definitely see why this isn't for everyone. I I personally I don't know. I. I think there's just something about it. And like you said, Paul, like maybe it's because it seems so far removed from the rest of the, the rest of the film and the franchise. Uh, I did, I did find something kind of interesting where, you know, you said that this was planned as a different film. I don't know. I don't know 
if it was planned as a different film, but I did find where like George Miller was talking about Mel Gibson's involvement. And he basically said, Mel Gibson was asked, you know, if, if you, you know, was there a chance that you wouldn't return? And he was like, yeah, well, I, I really like the story. So I still wanted to do it. But George Miller was like, I think I still would have made this movie if Mel Gibson hadn't returned as Max. I just would have changed it around and I would have had mm-hmm. it be something. It would have been a different story, not a Mad Max story. So oh, I see what you're saying. So it's almost the other way around. Hmm. I, don't, I don't know. Because to me, it really feels it feels completely different. That's yeah. that's that. I think it's the feeling. And like I said, I, I right. like like the story you described about the two sides. I think that's actually really a fascinating idea. I just I think yeah. it needs to be done a different different way right. but um but the, the most unrealistic part of the movie I and mean, we can talk about the kids and all that crap but when they were on that train there is no way that record player wouldn't have skipped there's no <laughs> way they would have been able to yeah. listen to yeah. how to learn french i'm sorry Fair point. No, i think the same thing every time too yeah <laughs> let's talk let's talk about the Let, let's get back to the let's get back to the return to barter town because um the question mm-hmm. i have there i mean i do like that he's like well because like, where do we, you know, it's part, well, we need to go there, but it's, we have, it's the only way we can survive is to go there, is what he says. So it's like, oh, okay. Right, there's nowhere else to go. They're, we're going to go to get water, we're going to go, and what they, all they do is they, they, it seems like there's no plan except, okay, we just got to get them onto a race, uh, you know, into a, a chase. So they just go to the underworld, why? Uh, reasons? They uh, steal the engine. Well, no, because they're, they're trying and, to find, they're trying to get master. Because yeah. they know that oh, he's the for... smartest guy. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. All right. Because right. remember, he he tells them because Savannah, like when they're in the pipe, he points he points him out, and she's like, "Who that that that?" Oh, that's guy? true. Yeah. So yeah they're he's trying the to get key him to, like, help being them. able to create a new society. If you're going to gotcha. Society, okay. All right. All right. right. That right. makes sense. Make the methane. All right. Hey, where well, are they, they going to get the pigs? <laughs> I know. Right. <laughs> but the idea is that yeah, then at least that's a little bit more solid. But then. Okay, the the race, or do we talk about the fight oh. under under under? So, I, I want to talk. I want to get to the race. Listen, well, what, what, I, I have I have a couple. Sorry, I have a couple of notes. Can okay. can we? Okay, yeah, so, yeah, so yeah. two two notes. Um, I think let's see. Was this was this a straight up reference to uh, to Star Wars where he chases the uh, Blackfinger, the mechanic? Oh, and they all come the chasing after him. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was pretty pretty. That's yeah. what I kind of figured. Uh, I, I thought it was funny because I always thought that was a Star Wars reference. And it's if you again, the the script literally not not in the lines of the script, but literally the script itself has two Star Wars references. So I thought it because mm-hmm. when you first meet Master, it mentions that he's about the size of Yoda. And then with the part with the vocoder, it sounds like he he sounds like uh, uh, R2-D2. It doesn't actually oh. make any sense because what's that <laughs> oh i i thought you were gonna say darth vader but yeah oh no no yeah that would make a lot more sense i don't know if they had actually seen star wars but yeah that, that didn't make any sense i just thought it was funny because it was like two two very like specific references um <laughs> and then the other the other question i have uh actually sorry i have two more notes uh the other question i have is is this the first and this is this is similar to in the road warrior where i had a, a trivia question that i could not answer but is this the first PG thirteen film to use the F word? Oh, because because Savannah says it in the in the uh, in the pipe. She's like, "What the fuck, Walker?" This film was this film came out about a year after the PG thirteen rating yeah. was created. 
Well, so, and here's know. the thing: without without that without that, would it even have been PG thirteen? I mean, this to me feels like a PG movie. I don't I don't even see the thirteen in there. It's got certainly compared to Road Warrior, it's got it has lots a kid of action. Getting sucked into a a sarlacc. Oh, boo hoo hoo! What was the rating <laughs> for Never Ending Story? <laughs> That's a good right? question. I think I think that was I think that was was it PG? But I think yeah, that traumatized a generation of people. Every you know they <laughs> they can't like look at a swamp without weeping. It's pathetic. Uh, I think yeah yeah no I think that yeah. actually came out the year the year the rating was created. Yeah, it was PG, but I think it Seriously, came out before. I don't know if you saw it, but at Dragon Con, someone their costume was they dressed up like that little kid, and they had yeah. one of those rubber horses heads. Just yeah. put it on the carpet and <laughs> pretended to cry and. All these people, thousands of people walking by, and they're like, that's really messed up, dude. It ain't funny. Too yeah. soon. Too soon. The movie came out decades ago. Suck it up, Buttercup. Jeez. <laughs> but, yeah. I, I, plus, I mean, the I think that the 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 Thunderdome sequence is probably violent enough to get a PG-13 rating. Oh, I don't know. I, even though it's not super explicit. Man, I hope we don't have to ever storm Normandy again, because... Uh... Yeah. Say that again. I, I hope we never have to storm Normandy again because this generation is not up to that kind of task. <laughs> oh, come on. You know, uh, just, just saying. Today, hey, hey, Saving Private Ryan was rated R. Okay, maybe, maybe <laughs> you can. Listen, my wife, my wife throws that in my face like other wives throw affairs. I mean, you, you cannot believe how much I have suffered for taking her to see that movie. She, is that scene with the tank? Where one of the characters that we've been following forever suddenly just disintegrates. I'm like, yeah, that's that's what those large capacity rounds will do. And it just, oh yeah, she um, she hates war movies, and I took her to the ultimate war movie. So oh, there you go. Yeah, oh, yeah. Hey, I, another done. thing, I, and I, I, we were talking about this before, and I forgot it, but the you had mentioned something um, before about uh, the post-apocalyptic movies where they talk about, you know, what were you before or whatever. They also had that in Saving Private Ryan. And I guess they probably had that in a lot of, of war movies where, you know, weren't the the soldiers or whatever, the people he was leading, you know, they were like, they were like betting on what he was before, mm. you know, he got drafted. Oh, yeah. And, oh, you know, yeah. and I don't think he ever told, or he told him, I don't know, what, was he a teacher or something? I don't know. Spoiler, if that's, or I might not, yeah. I might not even be remembering <laughs> yeah. it right. So, you know, let me way off. But anyway, I just, that, that triggered that memory. That was not a childhood memory. That was a saving private Ryan. <laughs> Are we about to yeah. talk about the uh, the chase? Uh, I, well, sorry, I have two two more notes here. Uh, All right. Also, we we haven't really talked about a bunch of the kids specifically. A lot of them kind of blend together. Uh, mm -hmm. What I will mention is I love Screw Loose. He's he's I love it. I don't think he even has any lines in the movie, but I just love how he's kind of always creeping around. But also very interesting that if you look at him and you look at the war boys 30 years later in fury road oh. and the fact that he mm. reuses that same exact look is very interesting to me um last thing and i, and I didn't go back to watch that but i swear i think his makeup had some consistency problems but i did not I, i'm sure he did watch well he, did, he didn't he didn't for a god's mirror. sakes come on he didn't have a mirror to apply it come on yeah, uh, yeah. i was surprised he had a name i was like oh okay because i did recognize that i did see that that uh resemblance but i just didn't know that he had like Honestly, I only knew the name of Savannah and nobody else. Yeah. yeah. Oh no, yeah. Uh, the, the names are great. Gecko, Mister Skyfish, Screw Loose, uh, uh, Goanna, Joanna. I think is one of them. Great names. Uh, 
Uh, none of them are as cool as Angry Anderson, though. <laughs> no, okay, final final point. Speaking of names, uh, does does anyone know what Master's name is? Uh, yeah, no, probably not because it's not in the movie. But is uh, his last Master's name is his last name Bates? Because <laughs> <laughs> that'd be awesome. Uh, no, when, when, uh, when we say that... Master. That's the little guy, or that's the big guy. Yeah, that's the little guy. Uh, the little guy, the big guy's plaster. It's probably good. It's probably good that they cut this line out. But he actually, for some reason, he they have a line in there where Pig Killer is talking to him after he gets uh, after Blaster dies, and he's like, uh, "But for some Elvis Ford about like I'm my my name is Elvis Ford and I'm 66 years old or something like that. I don't know. Anyways, moving on. Let's talk. The chase scene from Road Warrior was absolutely amazing. The trying to top it. The stakes seem smaller this time. It's just, it wasn't going to work. Train chases are the worst chases on Earth. It's not too hard to track a train because all you have to do is find the train tracks. You know exactly where it's going. There is no mystery where the train's going to end up. It's going to end up at the train station when the tracks run out. There is no chance that it's like, boy, I sure hope Max doesn't turn this around and go toward him. He can't. He's on tracks. <laughs> which also brings up the question of like how are those tracks still functional at the 15 right. 20 years at post-apocalyptic they should have gotten like two feet out and like derailed and never be dead well, my question was where were they going i mean it's like the tracks <laughs> the train station. out at some point right i mean yeah it's like we're escaping but you know where we're going yeah. or we're gonna crash yeah. in the desert have we lost them yet no they're following the train tracks that we haven't lost them we're never going to lose them See, see, I actually, okay, I actually kind of like the train thing because they were trying to do something that was different. Also, I mean, my my question in those in any sort of chase scene that lasts for more than two minutes is always going to be, why don't they just shoot out the goddamn tires? Which this solves by not having any tires. Um, I don't right. know. I, I actually liked it. I thought that it was obviously, yeah, obviously he was trying to like, I don't even know if he was trying to up one up himself, but. He was trying to say, how can we do a chase sequence that right. is different, at least? And it took him about 30 years, but he finally figured out how to do it by having yeah, guys yeah. on giant poles swinging around while a guy plays electric guitar <laughs> with flames shooting out of it. Yeah. Yeah. I also love that this is, we kind of got a little bit of it in the Road Warrior, and this is kind of a progression of what really you see a lot more of in Fury Road, but you have even more of the cars that are kind of personified i for one am a huge fan of the moo car which is literally what it's called in the script the fact the moo car and the fact that the guy driving it is literally dressed up as a cowboy <laughs> i mean aside from that one a lot of them didn't register with me i mean to me yeah. it seemed like a seem much smaller seemed like a much smaller chase well there was and one there was one where i can't remember who was driving it but the, the, there was a seat, so somebody's driving it, and it, it and on their left was a seat like at the top. It, it's like I mean that's just a death trap. I mean even if you put on brakes, he's going flying, and he's just sitting up there. You know, I, think I mean all of those vehicles were death traps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't see safety was not a real concern. Yeah. <laughs> I, okay, I have another question about the race, and I think it might have just been because I. I so when what a race, it was a chase. The chase. The chase. Yes. When they're in the chase. When they're in the chase, uh, and and they go to separate the I call it a caboose. It's the only car on the train. 
were they doing yeah. i can't remember was was master in the car at the time and he had to get across or was yeah. he already in the he was he was in there so that's why they were trying to that, that was the whole gag the whole gag when when she, oh he runs she, across she, the guy who she has she has yeah she has master and she's like uh you know uncouple the cars and he goes uh blackfinger is like he pulls the pin out and then max grabs master and jumps to the other side and she's like grab on keep hold on to the car okay yeah that's all right yeah, yeah that's I, I was i was sitting there going at first i was like why the hell i'm like oh wait okay that's why because yeah. her real goal was not so much to get the engine back but to get master back yeah. because with master back they could rebuild a new engine and put things back together so yeah at first i was like i was like well why she's going after the engine why did she give a shit i'm like because her real goal is to get master not so much the yeah which yeah. also fits another complaint i had which was like why are they still chasing him when they have the engine because that's not what they wanted they wanted master yeah, so that makes wanted master. Well. So. i i will i will say if there's one problem i have with this chase scene especially compared to the road warrior chase scene is the fact that almost all of the characters involved are kids and obviously they don't want to hurt any kids in this film they basically mm-hmm. remove any of the stakes and i think we talked about that in the last mo- in the last one where you know everyone it, it feels like there are stakes because people are dying characters that you thought were going to make it through aren't mm-hmm. surviving and in this one you don't really have a lot of characters that you can sacrifice to the uh to for the sake of making it feel like this chase scene actually matters so if anything i think that that's probably my only big like complaint like they only the only time anyone really gets hurt right is when pig killer gets his leg shot through the the door mm-hmm. and even that is like pretty pretty minor it's almost played for last when when they when he pulls the the door out you know and he's counting to three and he's like you know what happened to yeah. two and that's the thing it didn't even shoot through his leg right he it, it shot through the door and it wasn't impaled no, but then what? later it was, so he must have like been banged around, right? Mm-hmm. I think it, no, they. Sh- I think they shot uh, an arrow through the door. It went through the door and into his leg. That's yeah. why I, had to well, pull I thought. It out. I thought, from what I remember, the arrow was through the door and it was at his leg, but it it hadn't punctured it. Yeah, and I, I just assumed. I just assumed that maybe he got shaken around in the in the thing and it, his leg went into the the arrow. Because <laughs> yeah, I mean, he definitely had to pull it out at the end. But when they shot the arrow in. You saw it through the door, not in his leg, right? Did you? I don't think so. You got to rewatch it, and you got to watch it all. Got to rewatch the entire thing. No, no, Either no, way, I'm there curious. was an arrow yeah. through his leg at some point. Yeah, I think that. I think that if anything, that's probably my my one real complaint. I actually do like the action in this scene. I think, like to your point, Bill, I actually think there are a lot of movies where for some reason train chase scenes do generally seem to be really boring like i as much as i love the most of the franchise like the train scene at the end of back to the future 3 is just like one of the most tedious action scenes i have ever seen yeah unless i mean i mean okay if there's like a bridge that's out <laughs> and it's going to fall off a cliff i mean i want to yeah. see that and it damn well better happen because if i got to sit through a whole train chase it better end with a train going off the mountain which was That's, literally the end of that scene and that sequence. Yes. And even then I thought it was pretty boring. But yeah, it still wasn't worth it, but yeah, you know, the, the cool, yeah, the cars, the moo car and everything, which now did that one get hit by the train? The moo car. I actually don't remember. I don't think it got destroyed. 
See, it really should have been because traditionally trains had that cow catcher in the front, yeah. and that just would have Fair been enough. kind of funny. But it was it was busy catching iron bar and him screaming. Yeah, ah, that's true. How funny! Yeah. Uh. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I, I still love the cinematography. I think it like oh yeah maintains a lot of the like kinetic energy. It's funny if you watch. There are a couple of shots even that I think he reuses in uh, in Fury Road. Like the the he he loves that shot where the 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 camera is basically down on the ground and you see all of the cars like speeding towards it. He he used that again in Fury Road, but he used that here to to really good effect. Look, don't get me wrong. This is my least favorite Mad Max movie, but that's like saying vanilla is my least favorite flavor of ice cream and Neapolitan ice cream. It's still <laughs> ice cream. It's still better than not having ice cream. You know. Uh, but to yeah. me, this is more like having ice cream with chunks of broccoli in it. Oh, I, know. Now, I you're think, just I, think I, I start now. eating it, I'm getting that nice creamy ice cream, and then I hit the broccoli. And I'm like, why the hell did they put broccoli in this? See, that, that metaphor doesn't even make sense. That has never happened in the history of the universe. <laughs> Are you sure? Are you sure? Well, I hope. Because that's nasty. Hey, if, if, you, if you find a box of ice cream on your doorstep, yeah. <laughs> I, I did I did just go back and rewatch it and that arrow goes straight through his leg, literally all the way through to Ouch. the other side. So oh, yeah. Uh, so so he's dead because there's no antibiotics and uh you know yeah, probably. That, that was probably a rusty arrow. It was a rusty arrow and it was probably both his leg and the arrow were covered in pig shit. So, and they've yeah. been storing it down with yeah, with the pig shit. So oh so dead. <laughs> um, also also his leg is is like just like covered in in uh you know necrotizing fasciitis bacteria from wallowing down in the pig i mean ugh, a, a yeah. sterile scalpel cutting him would kill him yeah uh, well, well so much luckily, for pig killer luckily the radiation will probably get him first right right yeah is there anything else we want to say i think the only other note i have is you uh, i i <laughs> i don't know if i i love it or hate it again it feels like something that's maybe out of a different film but the running gag where iron bar keeps like getting like well a start really starting in the in the beginning of uh when they when he i guess escapes from the uh from underworld you know he keeps getting like he gets hit i think by the by the pipe and then he gets like dunked in the pig shit and then like throughout the scene he keeps uh i don't know he keeps getting like beaten up it, it's it's kind of funny i kind of like it I think it's kind of like it feels weird because this film doesn't have or this series doesn't have a lot of comic relief and this film probably overdoes it with the comedy relief. But mm -hmm. I don't know. I still kind of like it. I think it's it's the I think they were shooting for a PG-13 rating. They were and and uh, it's me being maybe me being cynical, but them saying, you know, now, you know, Mel Gibson's a big star. Now we got Tina Turner. We, we make PG-13. We can get a, the, the younger kids in and we can make more money off this. Yeah. You know, just like the whole the whole PG-13 horror trend, right? Hey, if we make it PG-13, we can get the younger crowd. Yeah. And and so in that case, it was it was for a different audience. And so having that doesn't mean I like it. That doesn't mean I think it's good. And that mean, doesn't mean I think it fits in with this this the series. But I think that's the tone they were going for and that was their audience so right having having this guy constantly almost killed but not killed does take away some of the yeah. seriousness of the chase i mean and again go back to road warrior people are are dying left and right uh you know folks that we thought were going to last don't last very long and heads are sm i mean they're they're serious uh they're, they're, the stakes are high 
And yeah. the fact that this guy can't die means the stakes aren't that high. Go back to the Road Warrior and Renee's favorite person, the Feral Kid, mm-hmm. when he has to crawl out on the hood to mm-hmm. get that the 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 shotgun shells, it's tense as hell. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh my God, this is this is tense as hell. And then you know when, when this pops up again, you're like, oh my god, you know this. Is, but this, it's like, whoop, hit the funny guy, hit the guy who fell into poopy. You know, it's kind of like, oh, oh, you know, who cares? I like when Paul says it better. <laughs> anything, anything Paul doesn't doesn't like involves this really silly child voice, and I love I it. Well, that's how I felt about <laughs> we, the movie, though. It wasn't like I, you, you know, I, I that you think this was made for kids. I mean, like what age? I, I mean, maybe teenagers. I, I this doesn't look like teens, even. Yeah. Really? Okay, I don't know. This just doesn't look like something that a. Uh, well, maybe a ten-year-old boy. This does not look something like a ten-year-old girl would want to watch. I mean, I, I think it was that I same mean, test, that same age for, like I said, I keep going back Goonies and Hook and those kind of things, where it's this this adventure. You know, it seems dangerous, but it really isn't. It's got that kind of same kind of kind of happy zippy score. I mean, they have them swinging on, you know, on on cables and stuff like they're swinging on vines, and you know, it's just like. It, it was. It, I I think that was what they were going for. That, to me, at least, that's what it seemed. Yeah, I, that's a possibility. I do wonder though if maybe the reason that this is so different in tone is not because he was trying to target a different audience, but because the story he wanted to tell at that time was one that was a little more lighthearted and uplifting. Again, you know, this was coming after a a huge tragedy in his life with mm-hmm. his his mm-hmm. filmmaking partner dying, the guy that he had called a, a brother in filmmaking. And so maybe it was just a matter of him wanting, it's kind of like in The Road Warrior where we talk about it's a pretty brutal film, but ultimately yeah. it ends on a uplifting note. And this film is uh, focuses a lot more on the uplifting aspects. And you really get, I mean, in the, in the Road Warrior, you obviously you love the feral kid because he's great. and but you don't really get a lot of his character. He doesn't necessarily, I mean, you he doesn't have any lines or anything. You don't really get his perspective. And in this film, he really is giving you the perspective of the kids by having them kind of speak for themselves. I just, I just want to, Zach, point out something that had totally not occurred to me. You're a better person than I am. Uh, if your best friend has just died in a helicopter accident, the thought of making films, a movie where a lot of it is mechanicalized, mechanicized, I can't say the word, mechanized. trauma, mechanized yeah. trauma and everything might not have the same, you know, allure that it did the first time you did it. I mean, you that know? might explain why he did it, but that doesn't necessarily make it a good film. No, no. It doesn't make it, it doesn't make it fit in the series as well. I, I think, I think it doesn't, you know, then he should have made something different. He should have, Instead of waiting to make Happy Feet, he should have made Happy Feet. <laughs> I don't think he could have made Happy Feet in 1985. <laughs> what I'm saying is, okay, Dave Higgins, what I'm saying is that same, he could have done those kind of films then instead of going, well, we're going to kind of shoehorn it into making men. Now, part of it may have been if, if, if uh, Brian Kennedy, uh, Byron Kennedy died while they were scouting for this, then they might have been locked into, well, shit, we still have to make this film. I mean that's understanding, but that doesn't mean that I have to like the film and think it's it fits. I mean, you know, there's two different things. 
Yeah. And well, I think I think it's more I mean, I, I don't think it necessarily I mean, you know, you don't have to like it because of why it was made. I'm more curious about to the point of like, what was the intent behind the shift in tone? Right. Like, yeah, was it, was it like you said? And and I suspect that it if it was any other filmmaker or it was a filmmaker in the Hollywood system, I would definitely say that, yeah, it was probably some, you know, it was basically the producer saying, oh, yeah, let's make this into a kid's film. But with him, I, I don't feel like anything he's there. I mean, even with Happy Feet, right? Like, I don't necessarily know if or or the Babe films. I don't know if he's ever come across as a filmmaker who's really gives into the pressures to change the story into something he doesn't want it to be. Now, I will say, like, to, to the point of he, he could have made something else, like part part of it sounded like that was kind of. I don't want to say, I don't want to psychoanalyze him, but it was almost as if he was working through his grief by taking this character, because remember, this was not just his baby. I mean, this was their baby. This was something they had created Mad Max. They had worked on the original for years. This was something that they had co-created together. And I think taking this specific character and giving the a story with him kind of a a, a note of hope and he even basically said that even even though Mad Max helps the the you know the the people in in the Road Warrior, and he's he's still it's up until the very last minute that he's not just working for himself. And he said that mm-hmm. in this movie he was he he described him as a a closet human being where he is there is a a a human side to him. He just resists showing it to anyone or letting it come out. And so he wanted to give him an opportunity to kind of let that human side come out. And which is kind of interesting. I don't know. I guess in the context of this being a character that they co-created and they turned into a very kind of brooding, dark character, and then taking that character and letting him become more human in this film is, is kind of interesting just in that whole, that overall context. This does feel to a lot of people like the character is a little bit out of place because after the road warrior and San- and then you know after uh, uh, after he made fury road this became even more apparent i think max has more lines in this film than <laughs> both of those movies combined and it does feel like it does feel kind of weird and that's why i'll talk a little bit about when i watched when i went back and rewatched mm-hmm. all the movies yeah watching this after the road warrior is kind of jarring because it's it's like you almost you expect that almost you know, nonverbal character, and he does he does kind of interact with his surroundings and other people a lot more in this movie. Yeah, I don't know. I know I'm talking a lot. I know I had I said it at the top. I have a lot to say about this movie. Does anyone <laughs> yeah, well, else want to jump in? Renee, do you have anything to say? Um, I was just kind of waiting for the moment when we get to another scene. What? And I'll just go ahead and throw it out now. One of the things I appreciate is uh, every antagonist i guess they drive their own vehicles in every yes. one of these and i love that it's yes. very appreciated that yeah yeah i love the fact that, that that scene especially when they when they start the the chase scene where auntie entity is in the driver's seat and she just like you know does the the hand flag and they everyone kind of zooms off the cliff i love that <laughs> apparently uh they had to build a special automatic one for tina turner because she couldn't drive stick so. <laughs> Why would anyone want to drive, drive stick? Uh, gas? Did I, I get better gas mileage? Oh, who cares? Listen, 
they, they'd all be buying little tiny electric cars. They didn't do that. They don't care about the, it's, the, you know, it's automatic. I mean, literally you put it on the D and it does all that hard thinking for you. I think they used to be cheaper. And some people, I used to drive a stick. I actually learned to drive. I used to drive a stick in the mountains. So that was, that's where I learned to drive. That was scary. My wife tried oh, to yeah. teach me to drive stick early in our marriage. And I, I think she, probably she lost half of whatever respect she had for me. It was awful. It was it was just a disgrace and embarrassment. The well, car seemed to be going you... forward and backward at the same time. I can't explain it. I thought it was about to enter another dimension. <laughs> I mean, I will say when I see someone or or if I'm in a car and they're driving stick, it is I definitely look at them like they're Gandalf the White. I'm like, All right, yeah. you must be a wizard because I don't understand what you're doing. Well, mm-hmm. let me tell you, try I, I quickly decided I didn't want to stick anymore driving in rush hour on I forty oh, because yeah. it was my my ankle just like would give out from having to clutch constantly because you'd stop and go, stop and go, stop and go. So. I hate it. I was I remember being at like a stoplight. You were uphill, and you you know you kind of go back just a little bit when you're switching to get move. Yeah. Oh, and the car gets right behind you, like right up on your ass. I'm like, I'm just gonna take out the front end of your car, buddy. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. I've only driven a stick like three times, and I'm, you know, I'm when I'm doing it on the hill like that, I'm looking in my rearview mirror, and I'm just thinking, this person has no idea yeah. how inexperienced I am with this. <laughs> anyway, well, segue yeah, for the apocalypse. <laughs> I, I, I'm gonna have to find an automatic because there's no way I'm gonna learn stick, even if my life depends on That's it. So all there is in the apocalypse. There's only stick shift in the apocalypse. Oh God. Well. Then, then the 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 people who drive can drive stick will be kings because the rest of us will have to walk. Oh, um, yeah. So, so yeah. <laughs> Do we want to talk about the the uh, the climax of of the film um, after after the chase? Is there anything else? I mean, I will say, yeah. The the uh, the record working makes absolutely no sense, but I I still I still love the fact that, and it's obviously very uh, very. Uh, big coincidence but i love the fact that they they put the record on and and it ends with that that line about you know we are going home um i don't know um yeah yeah so <laughs> really the only scene that he has any uh any lines in really uh but we finally finally get to uh bruce spence again and his and his kid jebediah jr <laughs> who may or may not be the feral kid uh, they try. Oh, he's they not tried. supposed to be. He's not supposed I, to be the feral kid. I don't think he is. And the reason I would never, I would never believe that theory is because I don't think you could actually like give the feral kid a bath without getting your face chewed off. So I'll be like bathing a cat. Yeah. Well, no. But remember, the feral kid went. On, the feral kid went on to lead lead the northern I'm, tribe. I'm kidding. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I will say, anyway. speaking of taking a bath, I love the fact, and I think I mentioned this in the last episode, but I love the fact that in the in the road warrior he's so scuzzy and dirty but they actually clean bruce spence up decently in this one again because i think he was kind of a, a big a bigger star at this point and people actually knew who he was but i don't know i think it's kind of funny dirty children that lived in the oasis yeah yeah exactly which which is yeah. kind of funny because they had all the water so right they right. Been Why are they filthy? but i guess they had no adults to make them take a bath so <laughs> damn it <laughs> The climax is pretty straightforward. Uh, I think we, you know, we finally get to that part that we mentioned in the beginning, where the the kids have escaped, Jebediah has escaped, and just Tina. I love, I do love that last line though, where where Tina Turner is, or Auntie Entity is, is like, you know, ain't we a pair? 
And then, and then I love how, what, what does she say? Like, uh, see you around soldier or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, it still feels weird to me that all of a sudden, uh, Bruce Spence and his kid who had been into barter town, but I guess kind of live on the outskirts of it, but they must just kind of go into barter, um, with stuff. <laughs> scavenge. I mean, it makes sense. They're like, Oh my God, run at why? Why? They're coming after these people. We're not friends with them. They're coming here. Let them take them. No, no, we're going to risk our lives and give up our nice home with all our shit in it and our lives <laughs> to fly these people we don't even know. And how many were, I'm, I'm, I lost track, how many people were there left at the end, not including Max? So there was there was Bruce Spence and his kid. And then yeah. how many of the, the wild children were there? There, yeah. there, was, there was Savannah. There was the pig killer. There was uh, Gecko. There was, uh, who is it? Uh, Goanna. Um, there were the twins. I think that was it. Okay, because that so there was, so that there were what eight people on the plane? Yeah, something like that. I was I was taking a look. So there were, there were 118 of those planes manufactured. Oh, Trans PL air truck. They were actually still they're manufactured up until 1993. There were 118 of them, and okay. the cargo version could carry, I guess, in addition to the pilot, uh, usually one passenger up top and then four below. So that'd be six. So they stuffed two more people in, but if they were kids, so. Yeah, we'll give them that. So it was actually actually made sense that that plane could actually carry. But yeah, that was a, a hey, maybe that's why the maybe that's why the kids' ages were what they were because so they, they wanted the weight to be play. right. Oh <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we've yeah. cracked it. We cracked the code. I, I did like though that they gave him. You know, he had the funky gyrocopter in the second one, and he had this. But again, when I saw it, I I just thought it was the the gyro captain and the feral kid because it had been so long. I didn't I didn't remember the the nat the narration at the end that they went off to yeah. form the northern tribe so to me yeah. that's what i thought it was the first time i saw it um and knowing that it isn't then it's like wait what the fuck so i, I looked up something it said that you know i guess some of the you know some fan people were saying oh you know they think that it's them but i, I guess they traced it to somebody that in i don't know a novella died in 2013 chopping a tree down so it couldn't be them or so i don't know what i i, I don't know what? i gotta find the link again but apparently maybe the maybe the gyro captain died in 2013 chopping a tree down i mean again in, they, in like they, some novella they know. already they already say that they went off the form it's just somebody who kind of looks like him like i said it's, yeah it's his it's, it's his brother, brother. It's twin brother or yeah. or or if we go if we go with the fact that we mentioned the gyro captain was the doctor could this be? The oh master? yeah, this, this could be the master. Oh, ah, there you I go. I don't watch Doctor Who, so I have no idea what you're talking about. But ah, <laughs> the, the, the master is is his an intriguing his, premise. It's sort of his it's Moriarty. Nemesis, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, nemesis and also possibly lover, possibly best friend. Oh god, depend upon how you work it out. Yeah, that's the best kind. The nemesis slash lover is the yeah the best kind yeah. Of nemesis. <laughs> Yeah, keep things interesting. Uh, one <laughs> other thing that I thought was kind of interesting, I would love to get my hands on earlier drafts of the script because the one I found actually said when scenes were deleted. So like I said, it was very close to what actually ended up on screen. There were only a couple of things that were different, but there would be times when there would be like between scenes that are in the movie, you'd see like five or six scenes on the page that said scene deleted, scene deleted, scene deleted. So I'm kind of curious all the stuff they took out one thing that was kind of interesting is they they actually left in in the beginning 
the originally they were actually on a glider and i'm very curious how they ended it because in in the beginning basically they're on this glider and he's he like still drops down onto the the car to steal it but then i don't know how they they ended it because then when you get to the end of the script it says like note we've changed this to be an airplane from being a glider at the beginning (laughs) so i don't know i thought that was kind of funny though um, so I, I presume that this had a, a completely different ending at some point since they, they didn't have the airplane to escape in. So yeah, no, we, we, we ended on a pretty positive note here. I mean, they make it to Sydney. Granted, Sydney is, I guess, a wasteland because it was presumably bombed out, but yeah, they, they presumably start a, a new society. I mean, what they're doing, what they're doing for food and water, who knows, but I, they do kind of end it on that same note that they, kind of ended the road warrior on which is this this new society uh mm-hmm. made up of of survivors from from the last one except this time it's mostly kids and, and again do they go back and get the kids from the go back and get the kids from the uh oasis i, I don't because I there's only a do. handful of them and all of a sudden there's a bit you don't think they do or no i mean they have to get to sydney they have i mean that would involve going all the way back several times there were tons of kids there where are they going to get all that gas? So are all the kids at the end, ones that Savannah had via Bruce Spence and, uh, and, and uh, oh, yeah. Echo? <laughs> oh, I mean, that's, wow. I mean, you know, yeah. and they wouldn't have been kids necessarily that were th- the, the kids they found there. I, I mean, would like to, I would like to think that was a long time later and she just ages really well. So No, but I'm thinking all the kids, though, that were there. There was like a whole bunch yeah. of kids around. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I you, you know, yeah. it doesn't it. That part doesn't necessarily make sense. I don't know. I see. I kind of. I I assumed that the, they just keep going back. Once, well, once they got to, once they got to Sydney, they kind of savage things, and then the the not gyro pilot flies back, and he's able to fix the plane somehow. And even though you know he has a tiny plane, but he can figure out how to fix the big one, and they fly all the kids somehow out of the desert to Sydney. I don't. Oh, you or think not. they 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 fixed the seven forty seven, which <laughs> crash landed yeah. in the desert? <laughs> yeah. It makes as much sense as everything else. Uh, okay. Well, that's an interesting theory. I don't know if I agree with it, but I, sure. I think we'll. we'll I think we'll go with the. Back to the they I, flew I, the plane I, back to the end of the train line, and then they just took the train back and got the kids, and they kept <laughs> psyching them. Yeah, they got them all. Right. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that they're all Bruce Spence's kids. <laughs> yes. They're all these um, tall children. Very troubling thought, but yeah. <laughs> 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 um, anything else we want to talk about, or do we want to get into? I guess our next section would be talking about the legacy and franchise of this movie. We've beaten this one to death. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I think that this is definitely the probably least well-regarded film, just because, especially out of the original three, because. A lot of people have never seen the first one. The second one is basically a classic, and this one is widely regarded as inferior to that. However, I will say that for a film that's usually derided, it does often get referenced in pop culture. There are a lot of movies that have, you know, just used the term Thunderdome. I will mention the, you know, the the song, the We Don't Need Another Hero, did reach number two on the Billboard Top 100. So, uh, hit for Tina. And I think someone mentioned this was kind of at the time of her ascent. I think it was actually around the time the film was released that Private Dancer came out, which was apparently, you know, kind of her. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of interesting. But I think let's talk about 
arguably the most important part of the legacy of this film, which of course was the 1996 music video for Tupac's California Love, which is pretty much based entirely around Thunderdome. Um, what do you guys think about Tupac? <laughs> Good guy. Great guy. <laughs> yeah. I, I, that actually blew my mind. I, I, you know, I, I admittedly don't listen to a lot of rap music and it was probably about eight or nine years ago that I was talking to someone about, cause Fury Road was about to come out and I was telling someone how much I loved all the other movies and someone showed me that music video. I had never seen it before, but it blew my mind that existed. And I just love the fact that, that it exists. I don't know much about I'm not sure I've seen the video though. Yeah, no, well, see, I, I don't even know the song. I, 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 it's not that I hate. It's just not my kind of music. Uh, Tupac seems to have been a very interesting artist, and he taught me a very valuable thing that I've taken with me in life. That if you're famous, when you get shot, it's called assassination. Mm -hmm. Oh. Whereas yeah. if I got shot, they would just say he got shot. <laughs> they also wouldn't make a uh, hologram out of you. I don't think. Um, yeah. Okay, that's another thing. That was that's about as much of a hologram. <laughs> as anything else in the world that is also not a hologram. I can't think of the right analogy at the moment. <laughs> That's a great analogy. Yeah, you're out of role. Yeah. <laughs> Where do they get this hologram? They, they just make words up. We're going to project uh, a, a beam of, of light onto a screen. Okay, it's called a movie. But what if we did it on smoke? Still a movie, not a hologram. There's nothing holographic about this. I want my Princess Leia, help me Obi-Wan, you're my only hope kind of thing. I want a real hologram TV, not a bad picture with lots of lines in it that's 3d if i put on the 3d glasses that's called a 3d movie it's still not a hologram stop calling them holograms <laughs> <laughs> oh man and god how stupid do you have to be now to pay money to to go to a concert by a dead person with a fake hologram you know it just, no one's going uh... to concerts right now but yeah point well no well, now they might as well have hologram audiences. Why not? Uh, that's yeah. True. yeah. They do have the cardboard cutouts for uh, baseball. <laughs> they're just they're just lying to us. They're just lying to us that you're putting on you're putting on a, a movie screen over your eyes and like it's virtual reality. No, no, it's not the hollow deck, okay? <laughs> yeah. Uh, just, I yeah. I did actually want to point out since we're talking about music videos. We, I think we had a huge oversight in our last episode, so I'd actually uh -oh. like to go back to the legacy and franchise of that film. Uh, we forgot to mention that there was another music video that heavily featured a sequence that was entirely inspired by The Road Warrior, which was Phil Collins's Don't Lose My Number. Oh, there, there you go. I just wanted oh, to call that out. I forgot. <laughs> We talked about it so much. We talked about it a bunch, oh. but we completely forgot to mention it. That's terrible. So, yeah, that that's just further proof that uh, you know everyone everyone who ever watches a Mad Max film is, is inspired by it. I do I do love the fact that like overall this film is very close in the design of everything to the to the Road Warrior, and obviously like they had a lot of the same crew back. They had Dean Semler came back to shoot it. They had. Uh, Graham Grace Walker was doing the the production design. Uh, Norma Morikow came back to do the the costumes. I don't know if it's intentional. I, I and I've never heard any fan theories around this, and I'm kind of surprised because if you look at all of the kind of heavies in the town, they are all dressed very similarly to Wes from mm -hmm. Road Warrior. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
and I love I in my mind I I think that there there was some sort of like minor cult that sprung up around him, and that uh, people are kind of paying Ooh. homage to him. I don't know. Well, that's better uh, than what, what, or they just got lazy and. Oh, go ahead, Renee, you were saying. What yeah, no, I was going to say that's better than what I was kind of picking up on because in my mind was, oh, Wes was a big hit, so let's capitalize on that, yeah. and you know, and then the Feral Kid was a big hit, so let's throw in eight hundred dirty kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was just, yeah. And... I, I will, say, I will say this is the film when I look at the characters walking around Barter Town. This is the one that really inspired the cosplayers. Yeah, when you, when you go and you see, and there's whole conventions that are nothing but road warrior as cosplay it inspired burning man yeah yeah yeah. i think you're right i think that's a, a misconception that he filmed it on the set because i'm pretty sure they filmed it in the desert in california and they talked about potentially filming it near where burning man was and i only say that because there were a few people that were on the set and i did a lot of research on this and nobody went to australia why would anyone go to australia if they could choose any other desert i mean we have deserts here in america and not every single living thing can kill you in that desert <laughs> there's a few that can but not every one of them in australia everything tupac wouldn't have lived to get assassinated if he'd gone to <laughs> australia to shoot his video but bill we're, we're placental mammals shouldn't we be able no. to take them on um <laughs> actually yeah. I, one thing i had about this, this um at this point at this point, weren't there enough of the the Mad Max slash Road Warrior ripoffs that had already started coming out? So this was sort of in the midst of those. So I wonder how much of them are actually they were influenced not only by, of course, their own film, but by the riff on on that whole just aesthetic just kind of came out and was that it was like a thing at that point. Hmm. So it became sort of a standard. So like you wouldn't even need I, yeah. to say, oh, I just I'm just curious. Yeah, it, it felt more to me like they were just expanding on all the designs that they had used in the Road Warrior. It's just they had kind of more money to do it, so it was on a grander scale. Yeah. But I don't know. I also, to completely random aside on a personal note, I watched this the other night to take notes and everything, get ready for this. And after it, I was like, okay, I have time to watch one more thing. Uh, I'm going to watch an episode of Doom Patrol, which, by the way, if 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 you haven't watched Doom Patrol, it's on HBO Max. It's amazing. Brendan Fraser is amazing. I love it. Go watch it. But uh, I, I, I had not realized this. This was totally random. The episode ended. The credits started to roll, and production design on that was done by Graham Walker. So I thought that was kind of hmm. funny. Um, which I think we talked last time. He did. He did production design on like uh, Walking Dead and stuff. So he's been he's been working in the industry for forever. I don't know. Anything else anyone wants to say before we get into our final ratings and rantings? Um, <clears throat> no, I know sometimes we talk about potentially having theories on movies and yeah, theories on the movie, but I have theories on why you like the movie. Oh, well, yeah. okay. Yeah. Go, go for it. Yeah, I only, I have a few. Um, is one it because is because I was a feral kid when I grew up. Actually, that is one of them. Yes. Yeah, um, true. yeah. Uh, and it was the first Mad Max movie you saw. So maybe it was the one that, you know somehow got in there i think you had mentioned it was the first i might be wrong uh and th there is a the power of nostalgia is a pretty it's a pretty strong drug uh grease too for me it's, i you know don't judge me um or <laughs> you have an obsession with high fashion and extreme shoulder pads um and then my last uh 
option is that when you were a kid, your nickname was Dying Time, and you like to walk into a room and say, Dying Time's here. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Uh, yeah. No, but if I ever have a rap career, I'm definitely going to call myself Dying Time, and that will be my the way I, I enter the stage. Um, I, I actually have... I actually, and, and it's going to be, you're going to like dye your own shirts, right? Yes. That, that, that's yeah. what it's going to be. Dye shirts, yeah, Dying exactly. Time. What else would it mean? Yeah. <laughs> um, I actually have some, uh, like I said at the very beginning, I have a, kind of an interesting journey with this film. So yeah, I will, uh, I, and I've thought a lot about that and, and I will actually talk through why, when I rate this film, I will talk through why I rate it the way I do. So, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to predict, I'm going to try to try to go from low to high just based on my prediction. Mm. So let's see if I'm right. And we're going to start with Paul. Okay. So, um, the first 35 minutes of the film, uh, <laughs> I would, I'd give a good style three and a half. It's not quite up to a four or five. I, I like it. It's, it's good, but, uh, three and a half, um, the rest of the film. I mean, I honestly, I, I appreciate the things you had to say about it. And I, I, like I said, there's, there's parts there that I didn't like that. I thought about it before going, okay, well, or at least things I th thought that didn't make sense about the chase and such that make a little bit more sense and, and some things like that. But still overall, I, I, I can't stand the, the, the final two thirds of this film. I, like I said, I, I look at my notes and at least twice I have, I want to punch the screen. Uh, the word vomit showed up multiple times in there, especially regards to the kids. Um, so honestly, I, I would not want to watch this film again. So uh, out of five, we're doing five tapes. Is that what we're doing? What's the yeah, what's the our old, max number of tapes? Five tapes. Yeah, the old five tapes. I, I would have to give it. I'd have to give it one and a half, and that's only mm. because of that first thirty-five minutes. Um, because they are they actually are really good. Um, and uh, so uh, yeah, one and one and a half tapes. I'm sorry. I just like I said, I appreciate things you had to say about it, and actually, I probably would have given it only one. You actually made to eke out an extra half a tape out of me. Hey. Um, so because like i said wow. thinking about sort of the sort of the things that didn't make sense to me at the end in terms of uh her motivation auntie's motivation things like that made a little bit more sense and again i really do like tina turner in this i think she does a really good job with it um but yeah and, and i, I, I think it's done yeah <laughs> oh no and, and again I, I think it's in terms of the audience it's going for but i just don't think it fits in with the series honestly yeah I think it, it, it should have been shouldn't have been a Mad Max film and should have been taking place like 40 to 60 years, if not more, after the after the apocalypse. So or whatever they call it. Yeah, uh, fair go. enough. The, I, I think we also didn't even touch on the fact that the the whole Captain Walker thing is apparently influenced by a book whose name I did not write down. And I forget, but it was actually based uh, like long after the apocalypse. So um, that's kind of interesting that you mentioned this would have been better being based farther, farther along if it was yeah. kind of influenced by something that was, this is, this is tough now because I feel like the, the pack is uh, pretty close here. So mm. I'm going to see, uh, I'm going to say, let's go with Alan next and see what his rating is. Okay, so I, I guess I should um, like preface it by saying if if I would have seen this one first, I'm 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 thinking I may have uh, given it a higher rating, 
um this is now the you know, the third mad max movie that i've seen and to me they're all very similar so it, it's it's kind of like you know it, it's 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 kind of played out and i i wouldn't have like i said i don't think i ought to watch the second one after seeing the first one but i since i have seen the first two i i do think that this is worse than the second one but it's better than the first one and since i gave the first one one and a half um i'm gonna have to give this one two which does fall into which does fall in with your uh you're trying to go in order <laughs> yeah all right well this is gonna be tough now i i'm gonna go with i'm gonna go with bill next bill give us okay. your, your rants I'll, and your rank i'll rating. cut to the chase i i'd give it three and a half Ooh. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying I hate this movie. It's just, it's my least favorite Mad Max movie. Which, again, Mad Max movies are pretty damn good movies. But, uh, but yeah, there's... And, and I don't know what I would do to change it necessarily, except I would have made the kids... I, I don't know. Yeah, I just didn't like... The, the, just, the movie grinds to a halt when we, when we go to, you know, Greenville with the kids and they're... Except for it, it is fun when they go through their little, uh, you know cargo cult thing and that's cool and everything but then it's you know you're the savior no i'm not it just and then once we get to the chase it's just like well we're this just isn't the road warrior it wants to be and i guess this is the problem with mad max movies after the first one which was a character piece and, and they're going to do another one they're, they're doing furiosa and everything is that there is a formula we all know it's going to end in a car chase. If he makes a if he makes a Mad Max movie or anything in that universe that doesn't have a big chase, we're going to be disappointed. And how do you make chases interesting? Now, Fury Road, which is just blisteringly awesome, did it. But I'm gonna have a, I'm having a hard time imagining how you're going to top it, um, without being obvious that you're topping it. I mean, that movie is just you know it's off the charts crazy. So, you know, this this film has, this genre has limitations. I don't know if it's an actual genre because there's not that many that have done it and done it well. But there's a formula to this that is kind of hard to break through, and I just don't think they did. You know, the only way to, to succeed is to keep upping the ante, and I don't think they did with this one. They did with Fury Road, but it took a long time for him to come up with a story and, and a vision that could succeed in really being a worthy successor of road warrior all that said it's entertaining but i'm more likely to just watch road warrior twice than watch road warrior and then the thunderdome so you know will i revisit it again sure sure you know i've got a few years left kicking and you know but uh but it's it is <laughs> my least favorite of the bunch so but three and a half is a respectable score there's a lot of movies that wish they got three and a half tapes yeah i was gonna say I, i'm i'm surprised uh, so this this may have actually messed up my probably hundred uh, percent. That was the other here. reason for giving it three and a half stars, just to stick it to you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it if it gets if it gets more a better rating. Uh, I, I I assumed I think based on the the joke that uh, Paul shamelessly stole from you that everything was good <laughs> until they went beyond Thunderdome. So, but I, I didn't yeah. use that during the podcast. No, but you use it in chat. So I I'm calling you out you in the podcast. It for me, yeah. off the podcast. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just want it's only because I didn't realize. I forgot. I'm old. Oh, that's fair enough. <laughs> what were we talking about again? 
<laughs> Renee, I let's let's hear let's hear you. I think you're going to be the combo breaker here, but let's hear your thoughts. Yeah, you know, now I'm I feel like I hold a lot of power and which way will I go? Um so god, you know, there's things that I do appreciate about the movie. Um you know, I kind of liked that it you know brought him up to, you know, like Bill was saying like mythological status at this point. Um God, but you know, it's like the other one, you know, when I said there was nothing I would change about it. There are things about this one I would change. Um uh it's rough. I want to say a 3 I, you know, part of me is like, oh, should I give any credit for the Tina Turner uh, song that came out of it? Because that would bump me up to a 3.5. Oh, the movie on its own, though, it's probably just a three for me. I'm so sorry. That's all right. I rolled the dice and I, <laughs> I failed. I thought you had it. I really did. Yeah, no, I knew it was gonna. I knew it was between the two of you for the the higher score. But <laughs> oh well. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna just edit this so it sounds like I'm 100. Oh right today, wow, so. yeah. He has that. That's the power he has. <laughs> you did a great job picking um, me after Bill. Uh, what's that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 there you go. Sorry. Um, cool. Uh, so I, I have, okay, I'm going to try to condense this down because I have a lot of thoughts uh, beyond everything I've already said that I've been holding back. So uh, it's, it's kind of interesting, Renee, that you mentioned uh, nostalgia because I am actually, I, I will freely admit I am a very nostalgic, very sentimental person. I think that not in relation to my own history with this film, but one of the reasons I do like the movie so much is because it really does appeal to that sense of nostalgia and sentimentalism with the, the whole thing about the, the kids having the memories that have been passed down to them and have changed and have morphed into this new almost religion. So originally, I mean, when I, I think before I went and rewatched re all these movies, I was, this was, this was up there arguably with the road warrior, I think in my memory. So it was kind of interesting when I went back and I rewatched all the movies back to back to back, literally all four of them in one night. And I was definitely like having this sandwich between the road warrior and theory road was kind of jarring. It did take me out of, the progression and it did feel like a very strange misplaced film in terms of how they kind of go from the road warrior to his character in this and the tone in this back to a very similar tone and character in Fury Road. At that point, if I hadn't rewatched it, if we hadn't done this podcast, I probably would have just given it like a three. But the interesting thing is I've been thinking a lot and because of all the reading and, and, you know, I've been listening to interviews and everything, I think the interesting thing for me is we've been talking a lot about how George Miller kind of discovered Joseph Campbell in a backwards way where everyone said that's, you know, this is why Mad Max succeeded because he's, he's this hero with a thousand faces that everyone can relate to. And he bought in totally to that concept in the road warrior because he basically decided to write it as, you know, a bit of the hero's journey. The interesting thing to me in this film is I think he actually finds a very successful way to continue that journey. Because remember the journey, you know, I, I, it's been a long time since I read hero with a thousand faces, but you know, I think basically they, it, it goes from being a man to a myth, right. To a legend. Mm -hmm. And 
they actually do a very interesting job of continuing that progression in this film because the 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 options that they had was basically right mad max doing something that turns him into a legend which would that definitely would have felt out of character it definitely having him suddenly come in and be a savior having him come in and be like a luke skywalker would have felt very very out of place and it i think it actually would have ruined the character for me the interesting trick that i think he pulls here that we haven't really talked about is he turns him into this mythical legendary character by using this this myth that this lost tribe has built up around this other person and then ascribing it to him and assuming that he is this character and treating him like this myth and even after they decide that he is just a man they are still you know he still saves them and he almost lives up to the the prophecy that they had been kind of foretelling that he would come Mm -hmm. and save them and he kind of does some of them so i i think i've been thinking a lot about that after i rewatched it i've been thinking a lot about how he managed to go from that road warrior character to this character and how he manages to kind of continue writing stories that build on that so i don't know i maybe i'm reading too much into it maybe uh, you know I, I, all that being said, I actually I just as a film, I really still enjoy it. I think, you know, obviously the Thunderdome stuff is exciting. Like I said, I love the whole thing about the the kids and them kind of remembering civilization, but not really. Um, I That does really appeal to my sense of nostalgia. Um, and I, I think, you know, a lot of the other things, I think that I think the chase is still fun. I don't know. I think I think there are a lot of great performances. So I think ultimately I'm going to have to I, I think I went from probably, you know, in my in my childhood, this would have been a five rewatching it earlier, probably would have been a three. And now I'm going to have to say I'm right in the middle and I'm probably going to have to give it a four, which puts it right up there with. I mean, that's <laughs> still below the Road Warrior. It's right up there with the original um, as I originally rated it. So, yeah, I'm going to say four for the solid four VHS tapes. I can respect Which, that. Uh, sorry, I know I know that was a long, long, uh, long <laughs> explanation there, um, and probably a couple of you fell asleep. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, I've um, done that to myself before. Well, I'll watch a movie. I think it was Midsommar that that you know I was like, eh. and the more I read about it and watched it, uh, interviews and things like that, and I was like, oh, okay, maybe I like this more than I thought I did. Not terrible amount, but you know, a little bit more. And there was another movie just recently. Anyway, yeah, I respect that. Uh. yeah and it's kind of interesting to go back and reanalyze and i don't know there there are plenty of films that i would watch once and and not care to ever watch again and not reanalyze but i don't know i think this series deserves it so yeah that that puts us at an average of if my math is right a 2.8 which i can't remember i think that's still above the original but oh no maybe it's below the yeah i think it's below the original because i think i think the first one we had it like uh yeah, I think Maybe I was the only one that gave that one a low. Does put it at uh, yeah, below a three. Um, so there you go. See, it's it's very sad because at first I would have given this a three, but like I said, it's it's like watching the third in a serial have the same thing. It's just I don't know. Maybe if I was more into this genre, maybe it would. Uh. So the next series <laughs> we cover backwards. But you know, you you watched it in the order they came out though too. So I mean, that's 
It's it's not like you're watching Star Wars in the machete order or anything stupid like that. You're watching you're you're watching in the order it came out, so you're experiencing it the way people would have just more compressed, I guess. You know. Mm, right, right. So well, anyone else have any any closing thoughts? Uh sorry for that long diatribe, but <laughs> has everyone said everything they have to say about Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome? Yeah, I th- I think yeah. uh you you were you graciously let me rant for a bit <laughs> oh, yeah. about it. Um but again, I, I, there were some things you had to say that, I mean, I understand. Again, I, I would like to see the movie that this could have been, I think, is, is mm-hmm. which is a change from before. Before we talked about this, it was just like, it's garbage. Just flush the whole damn thing down the toilet, <laughs> <laughs> except for the first 35 minutes. But now it's like, well, I would like to. Now it's more like it's more like just bitter disappointment now instead. Like, oh, wow, this could have been so much better. <laughs> That's my take if you look up the ratings for the uh, online, as, as far as the first three go, I think this is the lowest rated one. I guess my only curiosity is for those who have seen Fury Road um, in the legacy of Mad Max. Is, is this a movie that you could have skipped and gone from two straight to Fury Road? Would anything be missing? Oh, no. I think so, because I, I think... Oh, go ahead. Uh, the, the the thing about this series, and we kind of talked it, about it in the Road Warrior. After the Road Warrior, they, they, none of them really have. I mean, uh, Fury uh, Road you can watch as its own film. Uh, I think yeah. there's yeah, it's it's there's nothing there's uh, well there's there's connective tissue there, but it's <laughs> it's something that only enriches the experience. If you haven't seen the other ones, you don't need that context. Gotcha. Unless unless someone disagrees with me. No, no, we, we can have that whole conversation once we watch Fury Road, but yeah, it's it. Max, Max has become he's really just more of a, a mythical character there at that point in terms of it's it's not a it's not a continuous storyline that you need to. Oh, you know what happened in between? It doesn't. Mm-hmm. It's it's just this is another story about Max no or where Max is where Come Max. Is, I don't remember. I don't think there's a saxophone in it, but there could be what you know. Can you edit one in there, Zach? <laughs> uh, I can definitely edit one in there. Actually, I think that the now now I'm going to have to uh, probably knock down my rating of Fury Road from its previous perfect score because what they really should have had is the Doof Warrior playing a saxophone that shot. Oh wow! Which that's <laughs> anyways. Hey, speaking of Fury Road, I I think we're going to try to instead of doing episodes in between, I think we're going to try to do go ahead and do back to back. So I think if you guys are okay with it, I think our next episode will actually close out the series as it currently stands with mm-hmm. Mad Max Fury Road. Now what what is that streaming on right now? Uh it's on HBO Max. Okay. Well, so if then. you don't if you don't have HBO Max, uh torrent it. Torrent oh wait. <laughs> no, don't do that. Uh no, no, of course. That's illegal. We just wouldn't want email to email me for my, my login and password to HBO Max. Uh, <laughs> rent it. Yeah. Rent it from your local video store. Rent it from Blockbuster. Yeah. Duh. Yeah. Yeah. We're in the video yeah. store right now. Hopefully they won't make another movie by the time we watch that one because then we'll have to do that. Video <laughs> store. Are we in Wonder Woman eighty four? Oh god. But you guys I mean, are at promising least me that Fury Road films is I never want to watch again. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah, I know, I know, I know, and I, God, you guys are promising that Fury Road is better than this one. I, I promise nothing. <laughs> oh God! Oh, Fury Road, Fury Road, get get your face pressed right up to the your big screen TV set. And 
get some popcorn going that that movie rocks it's only got one it's only got one thing it's not enough to knock a point off and i realize time marches on but that's not max to me all right well yeah let's let's save this that's be a big conversation that's a whole nother right. um yeah so so does anyone have any anything they want to close with anything they want to plug well I, yeah actually yeah you can rent Fury Road for free at the at the Video Vortex Bar at the Raleigh Alamo Draft House. I think they're still renting films. I'm not sure. Oh. I haven't been there since the before times. But um, <laughs> how are you renting that? What are you renting it on? What do they uh, have it on? Uh, DVDs. The Alamo Draft House in Raleigh has a fully functional video store that they rent you out videos, videos, DVDs, and VHS tapes. For free. I was thinking this was for a week. So yeah, 2015. This was 2015. Yeah, this is 2015. So yeah. Oh, okay, okay. For some reason, I was thinking this was like last year. Okay. So Paul, how do they stay in business? What? Because it's it's the movie theater. It's the Alamo Draft House. It's the. Yeah, but if somebody just waltzes in there and rents is something, and then waltzes right back out. That's fine. It's it's. It's not fine. I want to stay in business. Most people go there. It's a it's a bar. It's a restaurant. It's a movie theater. Granted, hey, yeah. hold on, hold on. It, it, I, I gotta say, all, all the video stores that charged money for their rentals went out of business. So obviously that didn't yeah. work. So <laughs> yeah, it works. Yeah. It works pretty damn well for them. Actually, they've got a yeah. good steady business. And uh, <laughs> where else can you get a VHS tape of the wild wild whim of Awanga for free to rent? Well, what you could I break into my house, but other than that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know what I'm doing this weekend. Oh, I, I Wild say, women if, of Wongo. If you want yep. to watch uh, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome on Betamax, then uh, you can hit me up because I believe this is one of the three films that I own on Betamax. So, oh my god! Yeah. Ooh. Also, the the uh, the soundtrack that I like it so much that I own it on vinyl, original <laughs> pressing. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, what just, is this? Uh, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Oh my. Okay. Yeah. yeah I guess there was good. Have you seen that movie? It's really good. <laughs> anyway, I, I, I heard it gets a 2.8 i don't want to see that yeah well you know when people drag the writing down it does um, <laughs> Bill, do you want to plug any of your other projects which uh, you should probably be plugging this on those podcasts because those podcasts have far more listeners but um gruesomemagazine.com decades of horror 70s and decades of horror 80s we just did john carpenter's prince of darkness and we are about to do Mario Baba's shock. So good Ooh. stuff. Yeah. Love cool. me some Baba. <laughs> well, uh, thanks for listening. And we'll catch the rest of you in two weeks on our Fury Road episode. And until then, remember, dying time's here. <laughs> That's my intro for my new, my new rap yeah. show. Uh, good night, everyone. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Well, there you have it. The final rankings of all the junkies on the most contentious installment of this entire franchise. Do you agree that this sequel introduces some interesting characters and situations to the series? Or do you fall on the side of thinking that everything about this film after the Barter Town sequence should have been left to die in the wastelands? 
We'd love to hear your thoughts on this one. You can contact us by visiting videostorejunkies.com or you can hit us up on Twitter at videojunkiespod or just by searching for the Video Store Junkies. We'll be back in two weeks with our next episode where we start bringing our Mad Max coverage to a close with the first of a two-parter on Mad Max Fury Road. In the meantime, if you're looking for something else to watch, we've started releasing weekly mini-episodes where we recommend half a dozen or so films to watch on your favorite streaming services. So if you found yourself agreeing with one particular person or another in the great Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome debate, you can get weekly picks from them. Thanks for listening, and until next time, don't forget to rewind those Betamax tapes and re-sleeve those laser discs. Thunderdome.